We are live from First Pitch Arizona in Phoenix, and we'll ask a whole bunch of fantasy baseball thought leaders and experts about how to play 2017's results in 2018. And it's all coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, the 3rd of November, show number 41 of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season. It's another great Friday show for you, and it's coming to you live from First Pitch, Arizona, and in front of actual people, a live audience. Okay, one beer for everybody, and that's it. A little later on, we'll be talking with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire. Have some thumbs up and thumbs down players, all kinds of stuff. We'll have player news in a minute from Jock Thompson and uh, Ray Murphy and uh, Greg Fishwick will be participating in a little roundtable about the trends that we saw this year. And it wouldn't be a Friday edition of Baseball HQ Radio without commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, don't you know? In our Minor League Minute HQ scout, Chris Blessing, will tell us about some potential under-the-radar hitters and pitchers who should be on your radar as you plan for 2018. And in our frequent flyers commentary, BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky looks at a hitter and a pitcher playing in the Arizona Fall League this year. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We're live in Phoenix at First Pitch, Arizona, so you better believe there's more than 150 fantasy owners and experts, and we are talking some baseball. And in the first inning of this special First Pitch Arizona live edition of Baseball HQ Radio, it's our news report. Harold Nichols is back in Louisiana looking after things out there, but we're lucky enough to have the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our American League beat reporter, Jock Thompson. I think you got a better hand than I did. You I don't guys like were a little slow on that. Come on, you can try that again. <laughs> Says the guy who was uh, half an hour late. <laughs> uh, Jock, we're going to start this uh, little news segment here with some news out of your uh, bailiwick. The Los Angeles Angels have signed Justin Upton to a five-year deal, average value, I think, $21 million bucks, something like that. Uh, what do you think of the story? Well, I, I, for the Angels, obviously, it's great. I mean, it was, it was a terrible offense this year. Anyone who paid any attention to the Angels realized they they finished uh, in the bottom five or six MLB clubs in pretty much every scoring uh, category there was, uh, and some even worse than that. Uh, Upton's not a left-handed bat, that they, and they sorely need that, but uh, he's a durable 30-year-old left fielder. Uh, as I understand the, uh, the contract, it was simply – it was pretty much an extension of his four-year deal. He's now, he's now signed for five years. So good job, Angels. Now you only got two or three more regular positions to fill. Another story out of Philadelphia. They signed a new manager, Gabe Kapler. He's a kind of a bodybuildery type guy, and he signed with Philadelphia. Is there, what do you think of this move for the Phillies? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know if Kapler's had any managerial experience. He's a, he's a very cerebral kind of ball player, which makes you wonder why he wound up in Philadelphia and not somewhere in, in Southern California. But that's just my opinion. Um, but uh, it, it'll be interesting. Um, obviously, uh, Philly's going to go through another year of rebuilding, but they could step forward, and maybe that's what they think they need. 
And we got some free agents that we have to look at, Jock, uh, coming up this year. I'm, I'm curious what you think of guys like, uh, for instance, in Washington, outfielder Jason Worth is a free agent. What do you foresee happening in that situation and what might it do for fantasy value? Yeah, you know, I didn't follow Worth that much this year, but when I looked at him, uh, he was he was definitely on the down on the downswing and he's an aging uh uh injury prone outfielder. He's seen better years. Uh I I don't see Washington bringing him back. They have Victor Robles who's maybe a half season away from playing. Uh I, I'm just not sure where he goes from here. Maybe he goes into the second phase of his career. Maybe a second-tier second team uh, is going to want to take him on. I don't see him being with Washington next year. The Cubs have Jake Arrieta and their closer, Wade Davis, uh, as coming free agents. Uh, how do you see the Cubs managing those two situations? Uh, that's going to be fascinating. Obviously, starting pitching is, uh, is in scarce supply. Healthy starting pitching. Uh, Arrieta wasn't bad, at the, uh, particularly at the uh, end of the year, uh, Davis as a reliever, as a closer, is a little more dicey. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the Cubs finish was, was real interesting. Uh, um, gosh, <laughs> you got me. I mean, we're in a real interesting time of the year right now because everybody's all in, and uh, we're going to see how all of this sizes up uh, here at the uh, beginning, beginning of November. Uh, I think both of these guys are going to have some bitters. Uh, we've got a couple of outfielders, uh, Jock. Uh, J.D. Martinez is a free agent coming out of his uh, real gangbusters uh, performance with Arizona. And uh, as well, we have Andrew McCutcheon, who for a while was one of the top fantasy outfielders that there was. They're both free agents. Uh, which, which of them would you rather have going into next year as a fantasy owner? Uh, to me, to me, J.D. Martinez is amazing. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, there's an injury risk there, but even, even with his injuries, I mean, he's a top, he's a top 10 outfielder selection right now. I, I think he's going to break the bank. Uh, I, I did his forecaster box and uh, his, his numbers, his power numbers were just ridiculous. Uh, I, I think McCutcheon's going to be good. Again, uh, he didn't have any nagging injuries this last year. He made a little bit of a rebound. He's not the same Andrew McCutcheon that he, that he used to be. He's not going to steal a lot of bases, not going to hit a lot of home runs, but uh, he's going to be a productive outfielder uh, uh, if he stays healthy. How do you like McCutcheon's chances of being a fantasy star again? A uh, fantasy star, he might fall a little bit short, uh, more of an everyday uh, player, 280, you know, 20, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, I'll take it usually. Uh, and uh, finally, Kansas City loses the heart of their uh, World Series championship team, uh, Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, and uh, Lorenzo Cain. This is uh, going to be very difficult, it seems like, for the Royals to bounce back from. How do they manage it? Are they going to go for a dump session and rebuild? Or are they going to try to sign these guys? It seems so unlikely. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't know what they're going to do there. Um, the, their minor league system isn't great right now. Uh, and losing all three of those, that's a that's a big nut to swallow, uh, uh, if you'll excuse the, the uh, expression. Uh, I'm kind of thrilled that Moustakis is on the uh, is going to be a free agent. That's the kind of guy I'd like to see the Angels go after, being a left-handed bat, uh, someone who can play third base because he would fit perfectly with them. So, Artie, if you're listening and you're out there spending money, uh, give uh, Mike Moustakis a second look. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at Baseball HQ Radio. Jock, thanks a million for helping us out with some of this news coverage. We'll get you to stay here, and you're now joined at the uh, panel by Ray Murphy, the speculator, columnist, and co-GM at BaseballHQ.com, and Greg Fishwick, an analyst at BaseballHQ.com as well. We're going to talk about some of the trends 
that occurred in 2017 and wonder how they apply as we start thinking about 2018. And Jock, your keeper columns and, and some other analysis at BaseballHQ.com and other places have identified trends in the game, and I'm curious what all you guys think fantasy owners need to think about with these. Uh, let's start with home runs. They continued to increase in 2017. Looks like there's no end in sight, counting the uh, juiced ball, although I know Rob Manfred tells us it isn't. Uh, but what are we going to do with this uh, continued increase in home runs? How does it affect how we think about value of players? Ray, why don't you start us off? It's uh, something we've been talking about a little bit at the conference here, and it's going to be more of a conversation for the rest of the weekend. It's something that everyone's sort of got to think through before we get into drafts next year. And the, the early takeaway for me is that we need to actually be more discriminating about where we go get our get our power and that just because power is readily abundant in the player pool does not mean that all power is created equally and you need it when you're acquiring your power you need to be acquiring power that does something else for you whether it's power that comes with a good batting average or power that also chips in 8 10 12 15 stolen bases a lot of runs scored etc what you don't want is the guy who hits 220 with 30 homers and 55 rbis that's just not doing you any good in this day and age i think to piggyback on that that the strategy could change during a draft or auction also in other words if you load up with some high obp or batting average guys at the beginning you could steal some power at the end and and maybe live with a 220 hitter who's going to you know give you that that extra boost in the in the total bases or home runs whatever your categories are and um and that could be a different kind of strategy than than other people at the table are going to have or one that you have to have in your hip pocket because your your targets might go away your first few rounds and then you have to adjust no, I like what Greg just said. The other thing is, is, is that remember not long ago, we used to consider uh, stuff like swing changes uh, news coming out of spring training as noise. You know, you didn't pay any attention to it. Well, now you got to start paying attention to it because you had a, what, what Yonder Alonso did last year. You know, Sarah sort of had a very good column at the beginning of the year, almost projecting it. And, and sure enough, Alonso almost hit 30 homers. The other thing you can do uh, is start looking at minor leaguers if you can find the stats online um, and, and start looking at those swing changes going into to that are in process right now guy I like is a guy named Colin Moran who's with Houston he doesn't have opportunity right now but if he gets a trade or gets that opportunity he increased his fly ball rate last year in the minors um, he's always been a good pure hitter those are the kind of guys you want to look out for uh, coming up he was uh, called up, and as a matter of fact, we talked about him on Baseball HQ Radio back in August, and I actually picked him up in Tell Wars American League a week before the, the, it really started happening. And, of course, he immediately got hurt. It was uh, within, like, hours of me putting in my, putting yeah, in he, my bid. He went, like, three for seven with a home run, and then he fouled the ball off his face, and boom, that was and, it. And because of the way it worked, I didn't get any of the home runs or any. All I got was the boom in the face. <laughs> um, you, you said something about um, – the news versus noise aspect of swing changes and approach changes. And I think the poster child for that this year, as much as I appreciate what you said about Yonder Alonso, was uh, Justin Smoke of Toronto, who in the Toronto media, and this is a case where maybe we need to advise everybody, start looking at local media, like start reading the local papers, if you're in a, especially if you're in a single league and you can find the time. Bookmark all those sports sections and start looking in there because the Toronto media, I live near Toronto and, and we get a Toronto paper, and the Toronto media were full of stories about Justin Smokes, not only his swing change, but an attitude change. He decided he was going to stop 
being uh, so aggressive, swinging at pitches that were not necessarily in the zone. He was going to be patient and wait for his pitch, and he thought he could be a good hitter. And it turns out he was a good hitter. He was a terrific hitter this year, and, and uh, a lot of people wonder, well, Ken was 30 home runs, or what, he hit 35 home runs, something like that, uh, is sustainable for next year. And I'd have to guess that based on everything we heard, that uh, Justin Smoke might be for real. I have my doubts about Yonder Alonso, frankly, but uh, of the two of them, I definitely put uh, Smoke as likelier to repeat the uh, the home run performance for sure. Uh, and of course, we had rookie sluggers, Aaron Judge and Co Cody Bellinger, emblematic of a rookie crop for whom slugging was a real unifying calling card. Uh, Jock, how do we play that in 2018 with these young superpower hitters? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm just having trouble seeing another tandem like Judge and, and Bellinger coming along immediately the next year. Uh, the, these things tend to run in waves. But, uh, again, look if, if you're looking for home runs in the minors, uh, look for guys who are increasing their fly ball rate, who are, who are making, swing change, uh, making swing change adjustments. Uh, guys like Moran. Uh, Moran, it was interesting. I, I keep going back to him because the thing that really caught my eye about him before he got hurt in the last two months that he was in um, – Triple A. He hit 14 home runs in those two months, so he was just making those changes, and they were they were finally coming into effect, and all for him. So I kind of look at these guys in real time and try to figure out, okay, who has the opportunity and who who might take advantage of it. Yeah, a couple things for me. Uh, in our introduction session this morning here in Arizona, Ron Chandler brought up the topic of. Uh, a little tidbit we have in the baseball forecaster called trout inflation, where after you get a rookie crop that features like a rookie Mount Mike Trout, you know, literally breaking the uh, dollar values in the player pool. And you know, this year with Bellinger and Judge, the overcorrection in the following year's drafts is for rookies to be drafted too high. So, you know, there's no guarantee we're going to get a Judge and a Bellinger next year just because we got them this year. And, you know, you don't want to go jumping off the deep end too hard looking for the next guy just because those guys don't come along every year. Uh, you know, one other tidbit back on the fly ball percentages that I found amusing is when we were going through the baseball forecaster process of, uh, you know, creating the player boxes in the last couple of weeks, I came across the interesting case of John Jaso, who's a, you know, not all that remarkable player, but looking at his player box was very clear what happened to him this year in that, he had the same uppercut, you know, fly ball percentage increase that all these other guys, the Smokes and uh, Alonzo's and everybody else had, except it didn't work for him. He just ended up hitting a lot of cans of corn. And so, you know, it's not a magic cure-all for everybody. You know, and yes, you want to watch for the guys who, you know, in spring training are changing their swing or getting different results or what have you. Um, you know, that, that can unlock a, uh, a new level of performance for some guys, but it, it's not a it's not a magic elixir either. Sometimes it just someone's doing a taking on a skill that or trying to uh, attain a skill that they just don't possess. So you got to kind of watch out for the tail side of the coin too. Greg, along those same lines, and and also featured this morning was Eno Saris, who looked at um, information from Statcast and, and how to get the next guy that's adjusting his swing that might be successful, unlike John Jaso. And he said, it's the guys that are hitting, hard, hitting the ball hard. So you can, he was saying you can adjust your, your uh, 
you're a swing, but it's hard to increase the velocity that your exit velocity that you're getting. So look for the guys that are already getting good uh, exit velocity. And he mentioned uh, guys like Yandy Diaz and Jock Peterson, um, some other guys that he listed in his presentation that had lots of hard hits, but most of them, more of too many of them were ground balls and not enough of them were fly balls. So a tweak to the, um, the swing plane could make a difference and that could be successful for them. I think the other question that we have to think about too is how sustainable is Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge's home run performance that we saw this year? Are you expecting a repeat of 58 home runs or 55 home runs, whatever it was, for Aaron Judge or as on a prorated basis, just about the same for Bellinger if you give them equal numbers of plate appearances or fairly close, can they repeat it? Jock, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, this, this is a game of adjustments. If you saw Cody Bellinger in that last game of the World Series, he could not hit the curveball in the dirt. If I'm, if I'm a pitcher going up against him in the National League, that's all I'm throwing him to start the season, and we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, sometimes adjustments happen quickly. They go back and forth. Sometimes they don't happen at all. Uh, I, it, it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you another guy. We talk about Judge and Bellinger. Um, take a gander at what Matt Olson did last year. He had something like a 40% uh, home run fly ball ratio or something like that. Um, there's another guy who's going to go through an adjustment phase, how severe it is. I mean, who knows? We're, we're in a different, different uh, air now. And we also have young guys like uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, certainly came out of the out of the gate firing uh, Ian Happ uh, Andrew Benintendi hit a lot of home runs some of these guys we expected that kind of thing based on their track record other guys came a little bit out of uh, left field almost literally Matt Olson's one of them like nobody really saw this coming uh, even Paul Jong on, on on St. Louis and again the question is how much do we trust the power and and what are the signs do you guys think we should be looking for at a surprising power performance that indicates sustainability one thing that worries me at the Judge and Bellinger tier, it applies to Reese Hoskins a little bit too, is you know for all the success these guys had, almost universally there were also periods where they were just terrible too. You know, Judge had that you know extended period in the second half where he just couldn't put the bat on the ball. Both he, as Jock noted, both Bellinger and Judge at times went through that in the playoffs too. You give a little more pass in the playoffs because you're a you're facing a much better caliber of pitching than you do on a random August day in St. Louis or wherever. Um, and also, you know, the stakes on each at bat is the the, uh, the pitchers are you know trying to bury that slider on the back foot every time, and you know, and to a degree, you don't necessarily see in the regular season. But to that point about the game of adjustments and counter adjustments, you mentioned Reese Hoskins, and we pulled him apart in some detail uh, as we were writing him up in the Baseball Forecaster, and. You know, as good as he was for two months at the end of the season, it was really good for like five weeks. And the last three weeks were not nearly as good. And the, you know, the counter adjustment was already starting to happen there. So, you know, especially for these guys who don't have a full season, sometimes you open up the hood on, you know, what are admittedly micro samples, you know, week to week within a six or eight week hot streak. And you start to see, you know, the, uh, the, the, the pitcher starting to figure things out. And that's a a battle that's just going to continue in 2018. And this cuts the other way, too. It was really interesting. Jock Peterson, if you all remember, got demoted for one of the worst seven-week stretch that, that any player had you know, during the year. And all of a sudden, he looks great in the World Series. So maybe he's already made that adjustment. I mean, players don't lose these skills overnight. Uh, I'm not saying Peterson's going to improve from the level that he was at last year. He still has trouble against left-handed pitching. Um, he's still going to be a low batting average hitter. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go through a stretch that Cody Bellinger went through and hit 35 homers and all next year. 
I totally agree. The, the, the key is adjustments, and I think uh, things happen faster now that there is so much more technology uh, that gives us more information, and the pitchers are getting the same information the hitters are. So, you know, big news about launch angles and whatnot this year, uh, that's hitting news. Next year, it might all be about curveballs or other kinds of things that pitchers are doing that, are, that the hitters are going to have to adjust to at the, at the end of next year. Just one thing I'd like to mention, I was talking with Gene McCaffrey about this subject uh, early this morning, and, and he said to look out for guys, uh, I think he mentioned um, Matt Olson in particular, a lot of home runs, no doubles. I think he only had two doubles with all of those home runs. And to Gene's way of thinking, that was out of balance. And that if a guy's got legitimate power, he should be hitting a fair number of doubles, not necessarily exactly equal, but you shouldn't have 25 home runs and two doubles. You should have 25 and 14 or 25 and 19 or 21 and 17, something like that. And to him, that was a cautionary note about Matt Olson and anybody else that you can look at who has only home runs and no other kinds of extra base hits because it just makes it seem a little bit flukier. On the other hand, you could say uh, if he's hitting the ball hard enough and getting the right angle and, and he's not a, fl a fleet of foot, so he's not going to get any leg doubles, you know, he's, and, and the way fielding works nowadays, it's very good. So he puts it in the gap, but it gets cut off by a good outfielder. He, he basically turns a double into a single because he's slow of foot. Nobody can do that to him when he hits it out of the yard. So uh, I think these are the kind of things that we're going to really find ourselves thinking about in the next couple of years as we try to calculate what is the role of the home run? Is anybody going to change the role of the home run by maybe going back to what Kansas City was doing a couple of years ago and just keep the chain moving, keep the chain moving, and don't swing and strike out a lot, which is the corollary, unfortunately, for a lot of these home run guys. I think it's all really interesting. And, of course, at the same time as home runs are continuing to soar, stolen bases continue to slide. <laughs> what do we do to manage that, Greg Fishwick? Uh, the... the the valuation question is always there's X number of these counting stats available. We divide by uh, the total into what a guy gets, and that's some source of value. The total number of stolen bases continues to go down, which means anybody who steals a significant number of them seems to be getting higher value, but I see a lot of experts who say that's not how it works. Well, I, I think one of the things that means is that you need fewer to get more ranking points in your in your rotisserie leagues or head-to-head -head leagues even because if there's fewer to go around you need fewer to be as good or better than the middle of the pack or wherever you're shooting so I think that's one you know kind of mathematical on a simple level mathematical analysis of of the value of them um, it also means that that guys that showed speed once um, and then maybe tanked uh, or, or lost their position or something like that Gerard Dyson being the example of a part-time player with 300 and something at-bats a year and still 30 steals every year. So these guys that maybe don't have a lot of value in a, in a draft or an auction uh, for the, the whole table might be just the perfect guy for you at the right time uh, or for the right amount of money. Yeah, and I think that that's the question, Jock, though. Don't you think it is what is the right way to value those stolen bases in this environment? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a no-win situation. I mean, it, stolen bases turns Cameron Mayburn in, in, from a mediocre player that you don't want on your roster into somebody that you have to consider getting if you don't have stolen bases. I mean, it's, I, I don't know what you do with that. Uh, fortunately, I, th I think on the one Dynasty League team that I think I can win next year, I have Mike Trout and Byron Buxton, and those are the types of players I want on my team. Oh, sure, because the stolen bases come with a, a with, whole package. That's right, yeah. exactly. 
but sometimes that's not easy to do, especially right. if you're playing in non-keeper yep. leagues where you have to fight yep. for every player that you want to roster. Yep. Yeah, but you, can, you can still sort of do that. I think one of the things that happens, and I'll be curious to see if you mentioned this within your conversation with Todd later on, because I bet you he's already researched this, but you know, with only, I think the number came out earlier today was six guys stole 30 bases or more in the majors this year. As Greg mentioned, it's fewer guys, uh, few, fewer counting stats to do well in a category. It also inevitably, I think, has to mean that the category is more bunched. And the difference between, you know, bottom third in the category and top third in the category might just be 10 or 12 stolen bases. To me, that means that you know, at every point in your draft or at every point in your auction, if you're choosing between the one stolen base guy and the five stolen base guy, if you get the five every time, you've made up for the 30 stolen base guy that not everybody has. So, you know, going on that, you know, falling on that side of the coin every time, I think might be how you get to the top third of the category instead of the bottom third without having Billy Hamilton, D. Gordon, or Trey Turner. Because, and those are literally the only three guys who are going to be on the top three teams in the category. But after that, it's a mad scrum with nobody who's got real resources. So, you might win it just by battling on the margins. And I think one combination that, that uh, is coming into play more and more here, you've got Jared Dyson, who is uh, seemingly in a fan, from a fantasy standpoint and from a real standpoint more valuable than he's ever been, not primarily for the stolen bases, but the defense. And the combination of stolen bases and center field defense is starting to play and play more in major league play. One of the players I missed big time on this year was Delano DeShields because I did not realize what a big defensive improvement he made. And he was actually playing center field at the end of the year. And he's a terrible mediocre hitter. I mean, he can't make contact. He has to get lucky, you know, to keep his batting average around 270, which he did. But he plays defense and he steals bases and he's probably going to play a lot again next year if he can keep his batting average around 250. And one advantage that good stolen base guys have is they're fast. And if somebody can persuade him, you're not going to hit home runs, start slapping it around and use your legs to, to, you know, what is it? One hit a week and you gain uh, 20 points of batting average over if you don't get him. If he gets one bunt hit a week and one leg hit a week, gosh, he's, he's a 300 hitter. And that, and that speed is something you can't really teach, but it's certainly applicable beyond stolen bases. Well, and again, with the, with the advanced metrics of StatCast um, and, and uh, some of the other defensive metrics that we're starting to get into, teams, I mean, think of the shifts that for oh, they'll say the last three years, you look at any little tally and you can see the number of shifts is going up dramatically. So teams are starting to pay attention to their defense. And those guys are supposed to be in there for at least seven or eight innings. <laughs> and so they're gonna get three or four at bats. And if they get on once, they could steal two bases sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting valuation question, and I'll talk with Todd Zola a little later on in the show, and uh, Todd's a valuation expert, and uh, I'm curious what his point of view is as well. And uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. We've got Ray Murphy, Jock Thompson, and Greg Fishwick at First Pitch Arizona. And on the pitching side, Jock, in your keeper columns, apart from strikeouts, you said, and I quote, upbeat, upbeat rotation news is tough to find. And I noticed uh, in a Master Notes column, I wrote that the inventory of top-tier starting pitchers is not getting any bigger. And, Jock, you noted we had just 58 pitchers qualified for the ERA title in 2017. 58 guys had 162 innings. Everybody else had less. And this starts to have some ramifications, not only with the uh, innings minimum that might be affected in your league, but it also has ramifications for it decreased strikeouts because guys aren't in there long enough to get strikeouts. And does this have an effect on how we should be constructing our pitching rosters maybe looking at a relief pitch more relief pitchers even in only leagues and in mixed leagues 
Yeah, I, I think you do. And, and to, to quantify that 58 number even more, the, the, the year before it was 74. So it, it went down a considerable you know, uh, number of pitchers that qualified for the ERA title. Um, yeah, in, uh, what, uh, what you almost have to do is accept a little bit higher ERA, a little bit higher whip if you're looking for wins, if wins is still a category in your league. And you also have to look at you all know, four multi-inning relievers who, who for the last two years are still are, – are, are making more and more inroads in, in terms of providing value and providing strikeouts and, uh, and really keeping your, your rate stats down. Yeah, several things about that. And it's, you know, there are an awful lot of ripple effects here. Uh, you know, I have, it's come up in a couple times already. I had an awesome conversation last night with uh, Rob Silver, who won the uh, NFBC in uh, 2016. We were batting around some of, the, uh, some of the approaches to this problem, particularly with the strikeouts and, you know, how middle relievers might mitigate that and how you could, you know, while you're chasing middle relievers to, you know, maybe address, you know, saves and all the reasons we chase middle relievers to begin with in terms of finding a closer and waiting. There's also a value in having, the, you know, Chris Kavinsky or any of those guys who get you 100 strikeouts and 75 or 80, or 80 innings pitched and how that could be more valuable use of one of those, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh pitching spots on your roster than, you know, one of these borderline starting pitchers because not all of those guys who qualified for the ERA title are actually guys you want on your team just because they threw a lot of innings. If they were terrible, they're, you know, way less valuable to you than a middle reliever sometimes. Uh, Ron Chandler's got some data on that comparison in the introduction of the forthcoming baseball forecaster, which I think is fascinating. And it really is a wholesale what we're, really, what we're really getting at here really is a wholesale look at how you construct your roster. Because you mentioned earlier the, the decrease, in stri- decrease in strikeouts on a roster. In mixed leagues, at least, that isn't really the case. The strikeout number stays static. But, the pro- but with the strikeout rate in the game, what it is these days, you, get, you have to get those strikeouts from pitchers who are throwing fewer innings, from a staff that's throwing fewer innings. And inevitably, you're going to use more pitchers to get there and be shuffling them in and out of your lineup more often, starters and relievers. So it is, it become, churn becomes something of the answer here. And the decimals really get to be problematic too, because uh, at a certain point, I, I remember in the Tout American League, and this wasn't a mixed league, but I remember paying, I think I paid $8 for Francisco Luriano. And uh, somebody else in the room paid $5 for Chris Davinsky. And, you know, in hindsight, boy, I sure wish I'd have had Davinsky because not only does he get pretty much the, uh, close to the same amount of strikeouts or, relatively speaking, in the category, a useful amount of strikeouts, but his ERA and ratio are so much better. And he has sufficient innings that that actually impacts the aggregate that you're looking at. I think uh, the, the next question that arises is, are major league teams going to keep on this path of, of optimizing their bullpens optimizing their starting things maybe are we going to see people going uh, with those two starter deals like Colorado tried a few years ago and they just didn't have good enough pitching Greg where do you, where's all this I headed think, I think something's coming and I and I think the 10-day DL um, falls into that I think if you look at how the Dodgers used the 10-day DL 10-day DL they basically had a six or seven man pitching staff and that's another reason why fewer people were eligible for the the 162 innings I think they needed this year to be uh, uh, eligible for the ERA title. So major league rosters affect our rosters. And more and more teams are having an extra reliever. They're having the the two or three inning guy and et cetera. And and so A, they're more available in your pool of players because more major league teams have them. And B, it also has an effect on the other side of your roster, the hitting side of your roster. You have fewer hitters at the end of the draft um, or or the cheap side of the draft or the auction um, because 
that major league teams are not they're carrying one of those utility guys that's going to get 300 at bats because they can play three or four positions so you've got to be looking there and and adjusting your rosters accordingly one other little sidelight is your leagues and your league rules um, if you're a newbie, you don't get to influence league rules very much, very often, but you can start talking about the, the roster ratios in your leagues. Do you, do you want to uh, eliminate the second catcher and add a pitcher? Uh, do you want to change categories from total strikeouts to strikeouts per nine, our dominance rate that we use at BHQ? So what, you know, what kind of impacts do that, does that have? And if you can't change the rules, how do you use the rules in the draft? To your advantage, yeah. and and it's all uh, all of these questions are ultimately about optimization, and the trick is trying to optimize in a way that anticipates what's going to happen in Major League Baseball in the season that you're looking at to come. And I think that's why the real key question, that it might even be something to think about when you're listening during spring training to the news and noise that comes out of it is, are, has anybody announced that they're going to go with fewer bullpen guys and 100 innings? I mean, why, why is Chris Davinsky only pitching 70 innings? That's what, a, a three innings a week? I mean, this is a big, strong young man. Why can't he pitch five innings a week? And if that's the case, now he's a 120-inning guy. And at that point, he becomes monumentally valuable because he's basically replacing a starter. He's getting starter innings without taking on the starter load, and, and he provides all these excellent uh, decimals and all that kind of stuff. I think these are all questions that we have to really start thinking about when we're looking at how are we going to balance the roster. Ray, I'm just curious. We've talked about this before. The uh, balance between hitters and pitchers on the roster, is it time that we, as, as an industry, started to promote the idea that we need to cut back on the number of hitters on our rosters and add pitchers just to reflect the modern balance of the game? Yeah, you know, it might be. And, you know, it's a different problem in, you know, mixed leagues versus AL-only or NL-only leagues. Uh, we've got a panel here tomorrow on uh, sort of uh, the 10-day DL and the roster construction and the rules aspects of it and the strategy aspects of it. And we're literally going to go for an hour and 15 minutes on it. So we can't really, I can't cover the whole thing here. But the short answer is there's a few different approaches to it. And But yes, probably something has to change. I could preview that Ron Chandler's proposal to this is that we go to fewer teams in your league, but deeper rosters so that you know, maybe you come back on a couple of teams. It's easy. You know, sometimes we have trouble filling a 12 team AL or NL only anyway. So you go back to nine or 10, but you grow the, ro you, you grow the rosters deeper, give them more reserves and more DL spots to deal with all the churn going on. But it still leaves a little something in the free agent pool for people. So, you know, that's, that's one way to skin that cat. But yeah, you know, the way we've played this game for the last 20 years is increasingly in conflict with the way, that, way they're playing it in the majors and something's got to give and you know the majors are not likely to bow to us so it's probably got to be the other way around <laughs> <laughs> so, so your commissioner has to be bud sealing and uh, one of your teams has to be the twins i guess uh, remember a few years ago that was his solution for right, we're gonna contract baseball. exactly contract the contract the league uh, my my solution and I've written about this, and anybody who follows Baseball HQ Radio knows that I've talked about this. I think that we have to really, if we want to maintain the number of teams in your league, especially if you have a good league, you don't want to lose any of your teams, is uh, I, I think you need two catchers because otherwise it just lacks reality in, in my view. But why do, we, why do we not just have one extra infielder instead of two? And why don't we go to four outfielders instead of five? And, and basically cut back to the... The founding fathers of, of uh, fantasy rotisserie baseball said the ratio should be about 75 to 80% of available players. And what we see now is we're drafting 
And even in mixed leagues, we're starting to draft, you know, close to 85, 90% in only leagues higher than that of the available players, of the hitters. And we're down around 50 or 55% of the available pitchers. And that's just out of balance. And I think, I don't know what the solution is, but I think a solution needs to be found. And each league will figure it out on its own. As you said, if you've got a league where you're having trouble refilling your team roster every year, maybe the solution is to just say we'll have fewer teams and then we'll have deeper reserves which addresses the constant problem of injuries which is uh, something else that I guess we could talk about if we had five and a half days and uh, we could go on about this for hours and some of you look like you're scared we might so we'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on to the to the last thing and that is oh, there's there's been this uh, growth of strikeouts it's kind of all related to the to the same kind of things but does the increase in strikeouts have any uh, serious impact on how we play this? What do you think, Ray? It, it does. It's, there's no tolerance anymore for low-dominance pitchers. Either, you know, major league teams are kind of solving that problem for us because they have no tolerance for them anymore either. You have to, you know, it used to be, you, you know, your good relievers were a strikeout an inning and the starters were, you know, eating six innings at a time with, you know, for used to be our standard used to be, I remember when it was like five and a half strikeouts per nine for a starter, then it went to six and a half and then seven and a half. And now starters are striking out a, a guy per inning and relievers are, you know, if you're not in the mid double digits from strikeouts per nine, you're falling behind. And there are still, you know, the point's been made on the radio show a bunch of times, Patrick, there are still two ways to get there. There's the guy who has the enormous strikeout per nine rate, the Sale, Kluber, Scherzer types who they're going to get you, you know, 250 strikeouts a year in 220 innings. But with the fewer guys qualifying for the ERA title, what that means is there are fewer guys who are getting bulk strikeouts without an elite strikeout rate. The example from 2016 was Rick Porcello, who was terrible in 2017. But in 2016, he got, you know, 200 strikeouts by pitching 230 really good innings and his strikeout rate was only you know seven seven point nine or eight per nine or something like that but in terms of the raw aggregate counting stat that was another way to get there maybe and he was maybe a little cheaper because he didn't have that elite dom but because of the fewer guys qualifying for the era title the 10-day dl not working starters is hard those guys don't exist anymore it's basically the answer there's a handful of them but you can't you know, even what you're running into is guys who have really good strikeout rates who, because of DLs or vacations or whatever we're going to call them, are throwing 140 or 150 innings a year. And those guys are still super valuable in that amount of time, but you got to go out and find something that can help you and not ruin your ratios for the two or three 10-day DL stints they take. Yeah, you know, just maybe a little off topic, but just speaking anecdotally um, for the union of playing time analysts who had to deal with the Dodgers this past summer. <laughs> um, they pretty much wrecked my summer. Uh, it was uh, dealing and trying to respond to the news as far as what was going on there and, and, and how that was working, what was a real injury, what wasn't. Uh, obviously, I think all clubs would love to have the depth and the problems that the Dodgers had in pitching last year. They stockpiled a lot of MLB-ready uh, relievers. They had a lot of MLB uh, starters who could who could actually pitch five six innings. They didn't toss. They didn't run them deep into games. Uh, take a look at uh, how many innings Maeda and Ryu threw. Um, they spaced out their starts. They put them on the DL. Um, I but, think clubs. But, but that's the you know you joke about it from the playing time analysis point of view. But from the owning those guys' pain point of view, it's a giant pain too because I uh, I had a league with Wood and McCarthy and. Uh, one and one of the other ones, and you know, 
whether or not they're on the DL, like if I'm setting my weekly lineup on Sunday, I have no earthly idea who's pitching for them next Saturday. And yet they don't until Thursday either. So they can't tell you. It's impossible to own these guys and figure out when they're in and out of the lineup. And it interacts again with, the, with your categories. So, for example, I had my 80 in a quality start league. They stopped pitching him six innings after his first four or five starts. He never went more than five innings after that. He was, I mean, fine, a little bit of good help with ERA and strikeouts and, and whip, but he's not, doesn't have a chance to get a quality start when he pitched every 12 or whatever days. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a real important thing that we're seeing is that the, the 162 innings that guys aren't getting to, they're still getting the same number of starts. It's just that their average inning per start is, is really rapidly declining. And that's something I remember writing about in Master Notes too, which, which was we all hate wins I, uh, as a category, I think. Anyway, I know I do. And it's just getting really hard to predict wins for anybody except the Chris Sales, which are long inning guys on really good teams because the rest of them, you really may have a better chance with Chris Davinsky to get seven wins than with a guy like Francisco Liriano or, or some other like marginal type starting pitcher. One guy I picked up on the last two years and I, and I had him in both of my leagues and it worked out. Um, if you're really looking for relievers, and, and I know it's hard to predict wins, and, I'm, and I, to say otherwise would be heresy among this, among this group, but if you're really looking for, for pitchers who can pick up wins, take the good, long relief, strikeout, multi-inning guys on teams with crummy rotations who will pitch in the middle innings. A guy like, like Michael Givens, who's now won 16 games in two years, I don't think that's an accident. And, and now he could be in line for saves coming up. So this is a good guy to keep from a dynasty league that, from I, a standpoint. That, I think that's a great point, and it, it, it gets, again, to that interaction between the major league uses, your, your categories in your league, et cetera, and what your pool is like. And Brandon Morrow was an example for me for this year where I know he got at least seven wins, and then you saw him work in the World Series. So every one of those really good teams, which give you good chances for wins, has somebody right there that, will, that they'll put in in the fifth, sixth, seventh, and they'll be eligible for the win. That's right, particularly a, a, when a guy can come in in the fifth, sixth, seventh on a, on a team that hits a lot of home runs. You, know, you have a chance to win that game. And from a management perspective, you know, Davinsky was this guy early in the year in like April, and it turned out not to be as true late in the year. But it's huge to have that multi-inning role, you'd, you know, in ter especially in terms of chasing wins. You'd rather a guy throw three innings twice a week than one inning four times a week because you want the extended stretch to allow the team to come back or you know, if he comes in in a tie, let them take the lead. You're much more likely to get the win in the longer outing. And it also uh, allows you to manage the guy better because – if he throws the four innings on Sunday, that's almost like you started that week, and now you can bench him the next week because you know you're not going to see him again until Thursday. So you can you can churn your lineup a little bit. But the guy who you know the eighth inning setup guy who throws the eighth inning four times a week, you don't get the saves that much. You don't get you don't get the wins because he usually comes in when they already have the lead. But the guy who you know is in that bailout the crummy starter role, I used to be in a uh, uh, sim league where you know like an Apple league where you actually manage the. Uh, you actually play the games yourself and you manage the bullpen. And, you know, this was a whole strategy was to have guys on your team who could do this. And we, we called them like the caddy or, caddy or the valet. Like the, 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 uh, the starter comes in, goes three or four innings, and then, you know, his valet comes in and, you know, carries the ball. That's the kind of role you want to see the, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's where the wins target guy comes from. It's a really interesting discussion, and it's going to be something I think that as analysts and as the fantasy community, we need to really start thinking about is how these teams are adjusting based on data especially, but based on 
original thinking or innovative thinking that they're getting away from the traditions of the game. You've got a starter, he goes six innings, and you bring in this guy, this guy, this guy, because it has worked for a long time. But now because of uh, they're trying to manage injury risk for pitchers, and they may start thinking, you know what? It may, we may come to the point and not in the not too distant future where the model will be, we'll start a guy and we'll pitch him once through the order, then we'll bring in another guy who will pitch twice through the order and then we'll see where we stand and we'll put in either our, our shutdown guy to close the game out or we'll, you know, if we're losing him by a lot, we'll do, uh, do other things. I think one thing too to watch for next year, it didn't happen this year and I think it was because there were so few MLB ready minor leaguers ready to come up and contribute uh, that were pitchers. Sure, we may see that change a little bit this year if, if they can if they can stay healthy. I think you're going to see minor leaguers, minor league pitchers pushed up quicker than we've ever seen, and I think this could start this year. It's something to to watch for. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that traditionally holds back rookie those rookie pitchers coming up a little bit is they're always trying to manage their innings and their workload, and they're not. They'd rather them throw four innings for the first two months of the season in AAA than put it than have them up in the majors where they have to carry a bigger workload. Guess what? They're not carrying a bigger workload in the majors anymore. If their stuff is good and they're healthy, you might as well have them do the work in the majors. Yeah, it makes a lot Excellent of sense. Uh, listen, before we go, uh, uh, Ray Murphy, also the co-general manager in charge of the administrative side of things and uh, hugely responsible for First Pitch Arizona. How has it gone so far? We're two days in as we talk. Ask the crowd. How are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're having a ball here. It's been a uh, – we, we had a great day of uh, seminars this morning and a ball game this afternoon, and uh, there's some drafts going on here now while we're doing the podcast, and we're going to – Wind it up and do it all again tomorrow. We got the Fall Stars game in the afternoon and two more mornings of seminars. It's a great weekend. Uh, we've got about 150 people here. It's a great time. And uh, those people who are listening should uh, mark their calendars for next year. I think it's uh, November 1st to 4th, 2018. And uh, you can be one of the people yelling in the audience like these clowns. <laughs> and Ray didn't say anything about the tacos and the margaritas. So, you know, there's always that, too. Tacos and margaritas. <laughs> The slogan for the uh, 2018 <laughs> First Pitch Arizona. Tacos, margaritas, and then in parentheses. And oh, and some baseball. Some baseball. <laughs> and Ray, uh, always looking ahead to the uh, to the website. Uh, what improvements and things are you looking at in that regard? Yeah, right now we're uh, deep in book mode. The baseball forecaster is uh, being produced by a bunch of Baseball HQ staff right now that goes to press before Thanksgiving. And uh, if you get your orders in before Thanksgiving, we'll get the uh, – PDF out to you as soon as we can. Uh, that book, the, the physical book will be shipping in uh, December 8th or so. And then after that, yeah, we'll pivot back to the website. We'll get projections up on the site in mid-December, and we'll go from there with our preseason content. We're always looking at uh, you know, some new tools and surprises we want to roll out to. We'll keep those under wraps until early 2018, but we got some cool plans. All right. Uh, it's a terrific session. I'd like to thank Jock Thompson, Greg Fishwick, and Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com. We'll take a little break here. We'll uh, have our commentaries, the Minor League Minute and Frequent Flyers coming up. And then we'll have a talk with Todd, one of my favorite things to do. Todd Zola coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, stay with us. It's Baseball HQ Radio. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate. And listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. 
And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our traditional HQ commentaries. Coming up, we have frequent flyers. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And with Rob Gordon back in Michigan, despairing over the Big Ten football season, it's my pleasure to welcome Baseball HQ scout Chris Blessing. Chris, welcome. It's your first time on the Baseball HQ Radio pod. Yes, it is. I'm totally excited. Well, before we get to your hidden value prospects, uh, Chris, how many games do you take in during your scouting for Baseball HQ? Well, this year I, I attended about 60 games, actually 58 to be, to be exact. I counted before I came on. <laughs> and how do you choose which games to go to and which prospects you want to see? Well, um, it's, it's fairly easy. I, I pick games that I'm going to make money off of. How do you make money off of them? <laughs> By writing articles about the players. Can't you do that with any set of I players? I could, but like, would anybody listen to uh, or read an article about um, a player that's not going to How do you know that the, a player is w- worthy of that kind of attention? Well, usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll, look, uh, I'll look at the roster. I'll talk to people. Um, uh, I've got several scouting contacts. Um, so, for instance, we're going to talk about a player today that a scouting contact uh, gave me his name, and I went ahead and uh, went and looked at him. Uh, it helped that he had other teammates uh, that were were good prospects already on there, top top 100 guys. Um, but it, it was good to see him as well and know know what I was getting myself into. Of course, I read your articles whenever they come out on BaseballHQ.com, and I do notice you spend a, a, a fair amount of time below AA or in, in single-A baseball, and, and it seems like the certainty you can have about a prospect is, is diminished as you go down towards rookie ball, but you still go to those, le- those league levels. Uh, what is the thinking there? Well, um, especially for HQ readers, uh, usually by AA there's a, there's a script about the player already already out there um last year for instance uh i i saw ronald Acuna before anybody else um in, in full season ball and uh that was one of my first articles last year was on him and austin riley so uh hq writers were able to get a um scoop on on those players where Acuna was um you know talked to my contacts previous season uh they didn't really believe that he was ready to have the type of impact he's had so far well, when you go out there now, you, you look at a hitter, and uh, this is a kind of an ongoing debate in, in fantasy baseball and in real baseball. There's stats, and then there's scouting, and, and, and everybody agrees it's kind of the twain need to meet because you need, the, you need to look at the stats and project them. But you also want to look at a player. When you look at a hitter, what is it you're looking for? Well, uh, specifically, I'm looking at bat speed. That's the first thing, especially like in A-ball. Like today, um, today um, we went and watched Estevan uh, Florial. Um, and he's a perfect example of a guy with bat speed. Uh, you can learn so you can, you know, change some of your mechanics around and maybe get a faster bat, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not really a taught skill. Uh, you either have it or not. So, that, so like in low, low A, that's what I'm looking at. In double A AA and triple A, I'm looking at approaches, and uh, it's almost as important to see how, how the pitchers are. Um, there's not a lot of quality pitching throughout the minor leagues. That's why people struggle so much when they get to the big leagues. They're facing guys that don't have the type of stuff that can, uh, can stay in the minor in the major leagues. So, um, a lot of it is how they take it at bat when they're up, uh, a player I saw this year, um, uh, Ahmad Rosario, um, the uh, Mets, uh, top prospect. Um, I guess he's not a prospect anymore, but, 
uh, Ahmad Rosario um, was facing lesser talent and um, wasn't seeing many pitches and was uh, he was doing great. But the thing is, is uh, not being able to see pitches, you're not able to, uh, you know, kind of learn how to how to face a, a pitcher, especially when you get to the major leagues. And a lot of his struggles were because he was so impatient. I have heard from and talking to other people who are in the prospect scouting end of baseball that uh, one of the big problems is trying to kind of extrapolate from what you're seeing on the field and try to figure out, well, pretty much everything that's being thrown at this kid is a, is a fastball of one kind or another because the pitchers just can't get their breaking stuff across. And then as they climb the levels, the, the breaking pitches particularly get better and better and in the strike zone more and more. And that's where you make that, you say you make that transition at double A or triple A where, okay, we've established he's got bat speed. Now let's see if he can control the strike zone, especially against uh, off speed and breaking stuff. Yeah. Um, today, uh, we got to see a player named Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnson's a very toolsy player. Uh, Washington Nationals outfielder. He hasn't been out of high A. Uh, when I saw him with Hagerstown this year, I liked him. Hit three home runs in the looks that I got um, and um, could hit the fastball, no problem. Today, you saw a guy against a better competition. Uh, these guys are here for a reason here in the Arizona Fall League, and uh, um, he's flinching at pitches. He, he's not seen the type of breaking balls even even here in Arizona that he, you know, he just hasn't seen those type of pitches before. And Daniel Johnson was pinch hitting for Victor Robles, who started the game and yes. then mysteriously disappeared after his first at bat. Do you know what happened? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I believe that uh, Jonathan Mayo on uh, um, reported that he had a non-injury issue that he was uh, taken out of the game. Uh, beyond that, uh, I don't know. Uh, I was sitting in the scouting section uh, talking with a scout, and we didn't see anything from the first at bat. Uh, he did look a little tentative when he was uh, um, hitting. He was going against a knuckleballer. Probably had never seen a knuckleballer before. Uh, and, you know, being tentative against a knuckleballer, I guess, is, is you know, nothing out of the, un, you know, out of, un, you know, just not usual type thing, you know, so. I thought uh, that in Robles' first at-bat that he popped up and he didn't look like he really gave it a ton of effort to run it out. I don't, I don't think it was a tough play particularly, but at this level, don't, don't, don't managers sometimes like to just send a message to a guy by benching him because he just jogged like a third of the way up the first baseline? Yeah, um, you, you see that a lot. Uh, a few years ago, Hickory's uh, manager was uh, Corey Ragsdale, and I saw during a four-game series him bench three of his players. Uh, including Nick uh, Nick Williams um, um, for not running out pop ups, so that could have very well been the reason why he got um, got pulled. Yeah, because I remember hearing around here at First Pitch Arizona where a, a lot of what they're trying to get across is a major league attitude, uh, the the willingness to to try hard all the time and not like lollygag basically. But we actually in the minor leagues call that big leaguing what he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the big leagues, uh, in big leagues, uh, players aren't going to, you know, run that out if they're a veteran. Right. Um, so he essentially big leagued it. And you can't, you can't do that when you're a rookie. And a, and a fairly low rookie at that. Yes. 
So it, that explains hitters. You're looking for bat speed early and then uh, zone control in the higher levels. When we look at pitching, which is a lot less certain even still, is it the same kind of thing? You look for something in the low levels that you then change for the higher levels? In the lower levels, my big thing is life on a pitch. Uh, if a guy has life on a pitch, that's that gives you a good indication he'll get onto the double A AA and triple A area. Uh, then it becomes as simple as fastball command. Uh, fastball command is something that is, uh, when you see it, you understand it. Uh, uh, to the other day, uh, yesterday, we saw a pitcher from Oakland, Logan Shore. Uh, he pitched fairly solidly, um, except for one inning. That one inning, he completely lost uh, the target. And uh, hitters on this level even will take advantage of guys like that. Um, but in the minor leagues, they, they, you know, against normal competition, they can get away with that. Um, trying to think of a good example of somebody this year that I saw in Double A that that didn't have that. Uh, uh, Felix Jorge uh, made it to the major leagues with the Twins. Uh, Jorge was a um, in the minor leagues was dominant in Double A. Um, issue is is he can't he can't locate his fastball. And when you get uh, against major league hitters, they just feast on that kind of pitcher. So, Chris, we were talking about this segment earlier. You said you're interested in finding those hidden gems, which is guys who are maybe a little less on the radar than the Robleses of the world, but are still intriguing enough to, to be interesting to you as potential sources of value, maybe even as soon as this year. And I know you picked out a few guys. Uh, maybe we can start with a hitter in the American League. Okay, uh, the hitter in the American League was the one that I referenced before uh, about the um, the guy that I got tipped off about, and that's uh, Sheldon Noose, who's uh, currently playing for Mesa. Uh, he's an Oakland A's. Uh, he was an Oakland A's prospect. He or he is an Oakland A's prospect. He was a Washington Nationals prospect when I initially saw him. Um, bad body. Um, I think that's the best way to describe his physical um, physical body. He's six foot, one ninety five. Um, the thing is, is the, the, he has power to all fields. Um, he's a physically strong guy. It looks like here in the Arizona Fall League, he's working on aggressiveness. Uh, one of the things, one of the knocks on him uh, coming through amateurs was that he was too selective, um, which is such a thing. Um, and his at-bats didn't start until he had two strikes. And so... A fantastic two-strike hitter, by the way, um, and, and probably is going to help him. Um, another thing that a lot of scouts, uh, a, lot, a lot of the mainstream media has uh, kind of dismissed him is he's, he's, he's a guy that hits the ball the other way a lot. And usually in the minor leagues, you don't see that. Um, Austin Riley, who an another player down here, is another player that does that. I think Riley going the other way is more because his, his back can't catch up. Um, I believe with uh, Sheldon Noose, it's more of an approach. Uh, and not saying it, that Austin Riley's not using that as an approach. It's successful. It's going to probably make him a major league regular. But the reason why Noose is doing it is because he's seeing a weakness in the defense. And he knows that they're going to, uh, in the minor leagues, they're pulling him. Uh, uh, there's no advanced data uh, until you're in double A, triple A. Um, you don't see a uh, somebody um, a team shifting against a guy until until they're in Double A. 
and there's only a few teams that actually shift. Uh, in my coverage area, the Rays, of course, are one of them. Uh, the Twins will shift, um, but there's there's very few teams that will shift. So a hitter like that who can can um, open up the whole field is somebody somebody that I would uh, try to acquire if I uh, you know if he was available in my fantasy league. Sheldon Noose of the Oakland A's. You know, it's interesting that uh, you watch, when you watch games on TV and a guy's scuffling, they, the first thing that the announcers always say is he needs to go to the other fielder up the middle more because he's trying to pull everything. And then, of course, it's a pull-conscious game now because of the yeah. desire to hit home runs. And it's interesting that at the minor league level, a guy who, who is aggressively and willingly going to the opposite field is somehow marked down for it when he should be marked well, up. Well, like. the thing is, is uh, um, the scouts have seen, or well, the media scouts have seen him against quality pitching. And, um, you know, when you're n- unable to get your bat around on a fastball, you're going to hit it the other way. And uh, even, even, even in this uh, two-game look that I've had, he's pulled the ball more than I've seen him pull it before. Um, so like, I, I honestly think that it's a, um, it, for him, it's more, Hey, I can hit it this way and I can get hits this way. Um, what, what's been surprising is the power has come a little quicker. He hit 16 home runs this year. Um, I'll be honest, uh, even talking to the most, uh, um, most, uh, high on him guy that I know. He didn't expect the power to come this quickly. He's 22 years old. He's kind of a little late bloomer, but uh, the second year in his professional career, uh, it showed up. He also has a fairly strong throwing arm at third base. Um, some teams also liked him as a relief pitcher. So. Oh. Speaking of pitchers, how about an American League pitcher you think uh, as a prospect is a little under the radar but might be worth looking at? Uh, that that um, From guys that I've seen this year, that's been really hard. That's a hard question. Um, I... I don't have much American League coverage. Um, I, I did see a guy, and we kind of uh, kind of touched on him before, um, Logan Shore uh, yesterday, uh, Oakland Athletics. Um, the thing that I like, uh, I'm a big fan of change-ups. Uh, any guy that shows any sort of feel for a change-up, um, I f- it's the hardest pitch to, to master. Um, and uh, this guy, not going to be a top-flight top starter. But I really believe that he's the type of guy, if his breaking pitch can develop better. And, and yesterday I saw a four slider, so a below average slider. Um, and I, I, I do believe if he, can, if he can develop that more, he, he can be a better pitcher. Um, I also picked out another pitcher that I saw this year, earlier this year, that I like a little more. His name's Brian Matta. He's a, he's a very, he's a teenage, 18-year-old um, right-handed pitcher from – uh, the Boston Red Sox organization, uh, another guy with a feel for changeup. Um, you're going to see me when I'm looking at sleepers with pitchers. I'm going to look, and if they have a changeup, and if I'm projecting them as a starter, um, that's a guy that I'm going to put a star by. Um, if they don't have that feel and they have feel for uh, – they have dynamite other pitches, you just hope that feel starts showing up. Um, and you give every opportunity for somebody with elite stuff um, maybe to do something. But, but when, they're, when they're not considered front runners, uh, I'm looking for that feel of the changeup. Over in the National League, who's a hitter that's under the prospect radar that you think could be an impact player? Well, um, I was actually reminded of this guy today. I, I had scouted him three times this year and totally had forgotten about it um, and went into my notes and 
found out that uh, I liked him when I saw him. And his name's uh, David Bout. Uh, I don't know how you <laughs> pronounce it. It's uh, B-O-T-E. He uh, plays for Mesa. He's second baseman. I believe he got the only hit today in uh, in fall league in, in his game. Um, it, he's a community college kid. He was drafted in the uh, um, 18th round, 2012, uh, and hasn't really played much. Um, so he hasn't had a real chance to develop his talents, okay? Um, the one thing that stands out is that he has power to all fields. Uh, and today I really enjoyed his at-bat, his first at-bat against uh, Mickey Janus, uh, the knuckleball of 30-year-old or 29-year-old from, uh, from the Mets organization. Um, I, 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 I thought that he approached a knuckleball like, like I would want to see a hitter approach it. It's, um, he's probably never seen a knuckleball. Um, he might have seen it in the, in the, um, in the community college because there, there might be a few there. But he hasn't seen it at this level. And he, um, his goal was to drive it up the middle, try to hit it up the middle, and he was successful. He was the only one that got a hit. Um, he will likely he will be a Rule 5 um, pick this year. Um, I don't believe that the Cubs uh, have the room to protect him. I think they would like to protect him, but – They've got plenty of his type. They have, uh, yeah, and, and he plays second. He plays some third base. Um, I was talking to somebody today who said I, uh, he's athletic enough to play the outfield, the corner outfield, too. He made a very good play up the middle at second base. Um, he kind of, um, I, I don't, I can't really put a comp on him, um, and this is an unfair comp, but um, there is a guy when I wasn't doing this, I, I, I used to live in Tucson, Arizona, so I used to come here um, quite regularly to the Arizona Fall League, and I saw I saw Dan Ugla here, and Dan Ugla, you just kind of knew, under radar guy, you just kind of knew that when you saw him, this is a major league player. Now, this guy that I'm talking about today is not Dan Ugla. Uh, not I don't see all star potential in it, but like you look at this guy, this guy's a, a major league bat and uh, really in a super utility role, and in fantasy having that multiple positions, uh, being able to play multiple positions, being able to, to steal base every so often. He'll, he'll probably steal five to ten bases. Um, and uh, having that power to all fields is, is something that, that, that you want to see out of a guy, um, you know, that doesn't really have a position but, but can, can play anywhere. Those guys are going to get increasingly valuable as we see more and more pitchers and fewer and fewer hitters in the 25-man roster. And, and it looks like they're going more and more that way with uh, the, the Houston experience where you're, like, maybe they'll have like four guys that go four innings apiece and they'll spread them out in a different way and then they'll have a bunch of guys in the, in the bullpen. Uh, again, speaking of pitchers, how about a National League pitcher you think is uh, underappreciated in the prospect world? Well, here, here in the Fall League, it's hard to find a sleeper National League pitcher. Um, there was one or two guys I kind of considered to talk of, you know, I'd talk about, but I want to talk about a guy that I saw three times this year, uh, Atlanta Braves prospect Bryce Wilson. Um, Bryce Wilson played for Rome. He was uh, essentially their number three starter behind Ian Anderson and Joey Wentz. Um, he was uh, um, another Braves prospect that, that everybody pretty much knows about is uh, Mike Soraka. And I think that this, this, this uh, Bryce Wilson guy is kind of uh, the poor man Soraka. Um, his, his, his stuff is maybe a click below on, on everything, on the fastball, on the slider, and on the changeup. 
Um, he struck out a guy in inning. Um, he also avoids hard contact. And that, that, that was the thing that really stuck out to me this year. Um, even in a game that he struggled in, where he didn't even get many strikeouts. Uh, I think it was against Greenville. I'm not 100% sure. Um, he uh, not being able to uh, square up the pitch um, made him, with his you know kind of having lackluster stuff that day, um, helped him get um, deep into the game. Um, and 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 really and truly, like uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to get ignored because of how much pitching is in the Braves organization. Um, and there's guys, and I, I know this morning they mentioned Tuki uh, Tersaint, who, you know, Jonathan Mayo said should be um, should be a relief pitcher. Um, there's there's other guys in that organization that don't have three pitches and probably are relief pitchers. Um, this guy is going to quietly come through the ranks. Um, and, you know, until he's in double A, probably no one's going to talk about him, to be honest with you. Um, because Ian Anderson has the tools and, and Joey Wentz is just, um, he's one of my favorite pitchers in the minor leagues right now. So, um, which I don't know if he's a top 100 guy on many lists, but he'll, he's almost top 50 guy for me. So it's interesting sometimes that when you're talking about prospects, that uh, a prospect of pretty good skill can kind of get his talent can be like blotted out by the other guys on his own team at the time just by luck you know if you're if you're the third best guy on a team with two really good guys that could still leave you much better than the first best guy on another team that just doesn't have that kind of talent and so those are that seems like that's kind of a place where you can look for those kind of opportunities. Um, a, a very good example of this uh, hitter Michael Michael Chavis who um, is top 100 guy now um, he was a first round pick everybody thought he was a bust um, and then he's on a team with uh, Rafael uh, Devers, uh, uh, Yon Mankata, um, um, and, and uh, Benintendi when I saw him. And, like, okay, he wasn't as impressive as those guys, but then, like, he, Who was, is, right? he was close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, it wasn't that far off and um, kind of got a little bit ignored because of that. Um, so there's always those guys that, that, that you know, if you're – I know, I know some people in prospect media are, you know, going to cover just one guy. And I used to be that guy. I used to be, okay, this is my story. This is my story. But the best parts are going to see Kyle Schwarber and then seeing Wilson Contreras and going like this. That's the guy right there. We're going to see those great prospects and loving Devers and loving Mankata and then seeing Chavis and going, uh, oh my God, this guy, this guy too. Um, so like, that's that's the best part of it. So um, and and really and truly, the last guy we talked about, Bryce Wilson, was one of those guys. I I actually first time I saw him was uh, the day of Tim Tebow, where I was uh, <laughs> um, told that I was a security risk because I sat in the wrong place. Um, I probably was a security risk, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, I like Tim Tebow; he's a nice guy. Um, um, got in my shot and apologized for it, but um, not a baseball player and. Um, you know, it was, it was a hysteria day type thing. And here's Bryce Wilson, you know, just like nothing, just, just soldiered on, you know. Well, Chris, it's been a real uh, interesting session. I'm glad you could make it for your first time. We'll have you back during uh, next season for sure. Talk about more prospects. Sounds like you're, uh, in your element when you got talking about these guys. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, I'm usually gloating about beating people on, uh, in paper drafts and that kind of thing. 
um, and not 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 finishing a job during the season. So I'd rather talk prospects than fantasy drafts. Chris Blessing is a member of the Baseball HQ minor league scouting team and has a regular column at Baseball HQ called The Eyes Have It. That's eyes, E-Y-E-S. And, of course, Chris goes out and uh, hits the road and puts his eyes on these prospects to give scouting reports. Really terrific column. Now it's time for Frequent Flyers, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. Let's take a look at two guys playing out here in the Arizona Fall League and we'll welcome BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Thanks, Patrick. It's great to be here. Alex, before we get started, maybe you could explain briefly the idea of Frequent Flyers, which you've been doing now for two or three years at the podcast. One of my favorite features that appears every week in the commentary segment. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun to do it, too, and I'm just so excited to be a part of HQ Radio. The idea behind Frequent Flyers is we try to go a little bit more in-depth. There's a lot of prospects out there and a lot of highly touted players, and sometimes we cover those, but we also try to look for the guys that maybe nobody's seeing yet and go a little bit deeper. But we also try to look for guys who you may well know um, right away but who have a tremendous opportunity, and you should possibly pick them up right at that point and take a flyer on them. So these are high-risk, high-reward players that are uh, maybe flying under the radar who are, as we like to say, definitely worth a flyer. Well, the, our first guy is going to be a hitter. He's playing here at the Arizona Fall League and uh, certainly no stranger to anybody who plays fantasy baseball with any level of seriousness. And that's Ronald Lacuna, who's been out here uh, at, at the Arizona Fall League, as I said. And he's your frequent flyer as a hitter. Tell us about Ronald Lacuna. And I believe you talked him up a little earlier in the season as well. We did. We, uh, he was one of our frequent flyers from August 5th this year, I believe. And uh, he's one of those guys that uh, is very, very exciting to watch. Uh, in fact, I've been chasing him around the Arizona Fall League now for about a week, trying to see what he'll be in the lineup. And I've seen him play once or twice, and he is exciting. He's only 19 years old, so it's hard to predict exactly when he'll come up. And I hate to make comparisons to other players who are 19 who came up and made a big impact, like Mike Trout. But uh, so don't necessarily make that connection. I'm not directly comparing the two because they're separate players. But in terms of age, there is a comparison there, and there is an excitement factor. He's got power, a little bit of power, and he's got a lot of speed. So he's somebody that you definitely want to keep an eye on. This Over the course of the season this year, he batted 325, so he's a pretty good contact rate with eight home runs and 44 steals. So with steals being at a premium, he's a guy that may be worth targeting in late rounds, especially in NFBC drafts or something along those lines, because if he does come up at some point, he could have a huge impact. So he's certainly worth a flyer. And that raises a question, though, Alex, that the organization doesn't look like they're going to be competitive this year. And, of course, activating a player like him starts his service clock with all the financial ramifications that has. Is there a concern here that because the organization really shouldn't be rushed on a young player like this because it's going to cost them money or cost them years down the road, that they have no incentive to call him up? Is there a worry there that they just might not for that reason? 
I think that's an excellent point. You make it many excellent points, especially over the course of the season, and that's definitely one of them. That's certainly worth paying attention to because, as we remember, there a lot of guys that we've seen here in the Arizona Fall League as part of the symposium have gone on and have been, looked major league ready while they're here. The one that comes to mind most often is Chris Bryant. He looked ready in spring training. He looked ready when we were here. He was hitting bombs out of the park. And all of a sudden, they, uh, the Cubs don't bring him up. And his agent files a complaint. They say he's big league ready. Everybody says he's big league ready. But the Cubs say, we're going to wait a week. We're going to wait a month, whatever it takes to not start that service clock. So I wouldn't look for Ronald to come up before June or that area, late May, early June. But there's always a possibility with injuries or something else that they could bring him up earlier. Of course, there's also a possibility that they'll keep seizing him and they'll keep him down until September or possibly next year because of his age. That's why he's worth a flyer. So, But in terms of talent, the talent seems to be real and it seems to be there and he seems to be very, very close. Now, how that talent translates at the big league level, we'll have to wait and see. But he's definitely an exciting player to watch and somebody you want to take a flyer on. I think that's really important that it is a flyer because you, it, a flyer is by its nature. It's a speculative thing. And, and just to be clear, we are not saying that Ronald Acuna is going to play in the big leagues this year. It's, it's a possibility. And if he does, that's where the, that's where the real uh, chance to cash in is. Correct. And with that kind of speed and defensive ability, um, he's certainly worth watching. One, one other hitter, if I could throw one out. Uh, I did see Lourdes Gurriel hit a couple of times. And Grant's a very small sample size. But I know there's a lot of people that are looking at him in drafts, possibly for next year as a potential impact player. And he made a few spectacular plays in the field. He, he's very athletic. He looked very good. One of the, the concerns I had, now granted, keep in mind this is only uh, speculation because I've only seen, one, seen him play a game or two live, but one of the things that I noticed uh, just with the eye test is that he seems to be flinching a little bit with breaking pitches inside, which is not uncommon with players at his level or players with his development, but he's able to turn on a fastball pretty quickly. But in the games I saw, and it may have just been the pitcher was pitching or that type of curveball or something else, he seemed to ha struggle with turning on an inside pitch. So that's something to be aware of. That tells me that he may not be ready for the major leagues just yet, no matter how close he looks. He may need a little more time to develop. Okay, over to the pitching mound. Uh, who do you think uh, out here at uh, First Pitch Arizona in Phoenix? Arizona Fall League has caught your eye as a potential flyer. Well, there's, there's a number of them, and one of the best things about being out here with uh, First Pitch Arizona and Baseball HQ is a lot of our frequent flyers from this year and the past year and even a couple of years before are playing. Uh, Francisco Mejia, the catcher from the Cleveland Indians, we talked about him back in 2016. He's out here playing third base. Um, one of the pitchers that uh, comes to mind that I'm really excited to see tomorrow night at the Fall Stars game is Mitch Keller. We called him on frequent flyers, the stellar Mitch Keller. And that name certainly seems appropriate in many, many ways. So far in the years of the Fall League, now granted it's a small sample size, it's only a handful of games, but he has a 172 ERA, which uh, is, so far he's performed extremely well out here. Um, when you look at uh, um, on 
October 30th, I believe, he pitched five scoreless innings. So considering the talent level that's out here and the talent level he's matching up against and some of the hitters he may not have faced on a regular basis, the way he's been pitching, at least by the numbers, looks extremely good. Now, by the same token, I can't say that I've seen a lot of him yet, and I really rely on the eye test as well as the numbers and as well as the statistics and metrics that we use at BaseballHQ.com to evaluate these players throughout the year. So it may be early to say how big of an impact he has. And I, and I, for, on a conservative basis, I like to pull back a little bit and say we don't really know how this is going to translate, but I will say – the stellar Mitch Keller is certainly worth a flyer. On that note, I'd like to throw one more player out there. Tuki Tucson I saw a pitch the other day in relief, and one of the things I noticed was his curveball really stood out. It had a lot of movement, a lot of break on it, and how that translates and whether he ends up in the bullpen, it's still early to say, but if you get a chance to watch him pitch, especially if, you're, uh, if you need a break from seeing these guys throw high 90s like Michael Kopech, who was here last year. Um, it's fun to watch Tuki Toussaint and pitchers like that who can really have that bender and really curve it wherever they want. Alex, it's uh, always a pleasure listening to you talk about these players. Between the enthusiasm and the uh, information, it's, uh, it's really good. Uh, we talked about... Ronald Acuna here, and uh, we also talked about uh, stellar Mitch Keller. I'll say, what the hecky, it's Alex Becky. Thanks a million. Thanks. Thanks, PD. Thank you, everybody. When we come back, a regular and favorite guest of Baseball HQ Radio, Todd Zola coming up. Stay with us on Baseball HQ Radio. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. Baseball, what a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. 
what a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Abbott. And it's a pleasure to be joined by a favorite and regular guest at Baseball HQ Radio. We used to call the segment Talk with Todd because it was super regular. It's a little less regular the last little while because Todd's a very busy guy with all of his many things going on. Uh, please say hello to Todd Zola. Wow. We got, we got a standing room only crowd here. Well, there's plenty of sitting room. It's just people are standing. and It keeps them comfortable, I guess. Uh, Todd, before we get on to some other stuff, I'm curious. Uh, we had a conversation earlier with Ray Murphy and Greg Fishwick and Jock Thompson about the, the altered um, balances in the uh, way that we're, in what we're seeing in baseball vis-a-vis -vis home runs, strikeouts, right. and stolen bases. Right. And you're a valuation guy. I mean, that's your stock in trade. And I wonder, how do you think as a valuator – these shifts in the uh, way that the, the stats are produced and distributed is affecting the valuation process and the valuation outcomes. I mean, strictly by the numbers, nothing to do with game theory or draft strategy, whatever, the D. Gordons, Billy Hamiltons are, are, are getting punched up because they have a higher percentage of the limited pool. And the guys that hit the home runs, they have a smaller percentage of a larger pool. So by the numbers, you know, you know a, a raw system is going to put Billy Hamilton through the roof and D. Gordon through the roof. And you know, if you, a ranking list by dollar values is not a draft list. They are two separate entities. So, you know, if you just run the numbers and whatever group you use and D. Gordon comes out fifth highest overall dollar value, which he might, it doesn't mean you take him fifth. That come, you know, that's sort of the next step. What do you then do? And then, you know, as you guys discussed, there's several ways to, to approach that. So the, the question of roster management is linked to but not directly connected to actual value. You have to make some considerations about if I spend $45 on D. Gordon, because that's what my machine says he's worth, that's $45 that you don't get to spend in a whole bunch of other ways, and that's something you have to keep in mind. Right. And, you know, just be, if people don't use the machine, they're not going to value D. Gordon that high. So you maybe only have to pay 41 or I don't have to pick him fifth. I can pick him 15th. But as you sort of suggested, as far as the curve, the distribution of stolen bases, um, they were what, from last place to in a 15-team league, let's call it 12th, it's a very steep decline, a steep slope, just because some teams just dump steals. Then the team doesn't dump steals, and then it's really bunched, and then the top three are just every curve is like this. But they're you know to get from we'll say fourth to third and third to second, second to first, you need a lot more than you need for the middle. I mean, it's, it's the most bunch category. So I think what happens now, though, is it's staying that way, but the, the Gordons and Hamiltons and those sorts of guys, they just they push the, uh, the, the delta at the top even more. So in, from an efficiency point of view, you kind of want to finish, you know, in a 15-team league, fourth or fifth. Maybe you don't want to take that extra to get you to, you know, and, and take that money – and then shunt it over the home runs and RBIs and get, 
that much more because the uh, I don't know if you guys maybe I got in a little bit late because I was doing an auction. The other the sort of we didn't talk about runs and RBIs is because we don't talk about runs and RBIs enough. We should the, the sort of the piggybacking on the home runs more runs are up home runs are up but and, but they're up at a greater rate than runs. There's the more a higher percentage of runs and RBIs are coming off a homer than any be, ever before. So it's not just home runs versus steals. It's home runs on runs and RBIs versus steals. So if you if you finish fifth in steals, you take that extra little money that would have gotten you a third, second, or first, put it in homers, and now you're gaining in those three categories. And that's the big difference, I right. think. But this raises an inter- interesting question to me, Todd, and it's this: if the if the valuation engine is accurate and is programmed correctly and has good data going into it, why wouldn't you spend forty five dollars on D Gordon if if your valuation engine says he's worth forty seven? Isn't it isn't a bargain a bargain? Uh, yes and no. Well, the thing being because that the whatever the five dollars of that forty five is getting you from fourth to third or fourth to first. That same five dollars, so that's getting you three points. That same five dollars can get you eight points if you apply it towards home runs. At least you know it's, it does have to do with all sorts of roster construction and the. Uh, um, it's it, the the other thing you know. You guys have done an article about this. It's an interesting article. If you use the SGP method, the delta between the numbers isn't going to change. So that's not going to affect stolen bases guys as much as you're using what you call PVM percentage value method. So the D Gordons and Billy Hamiltons are not or Trey Turner are not going to jump up as much in an SGP value method as they are in a PVM just because P, standing points uses the difference between the relative points in the standings, and that's really not changing that much. And it, well, to be to do it, it is. We just mentioned that the the, the top guys up, but you use a least squares method, which smooths it. So after you do the least squares part, it smooths it, and your SGP for steals is going to be the same, even though there's fewer steals, just because the standing distribution isn't changing that much. And I was uh, when I think about this, I also wonder, and I've had other people ask me this kind of issue: is if you suspect that uh, D Gordon is going to steal sixty bases. In the reduced stolen base environment, that alone might get you into the middle of the pack or slightly above the middle of the pack. And maybe now you don't need to buy even a single steal. And, and these guys who are steals guys who also contribute in other areas, right. you can let your competitors fight over them. And you can just say, I'm going to go get you know, Nelson Cruz and right. I'm going to go get uh, these guys who are good, efficient home run hitters with zero steals. And you don't have to worry. And, and maybe you get some bargains there because all your competitors, now that D. Gordon's out of the pool, right. are looking and saying, now I got to go after all these 12, 15 home uh, steals guys who are also these uh, delivering these other stats. And you can say, good for you, sucker, because I can, I can spend less money just buying the home runs that I now need because I got steals taken care of with the one guy. Right. Now, the counter to that would be someone's going to say, well, if, he get, if D. Gordon or Billy Hamilton gets hurt, you're in trouble. At this point, with so many injuries, I want to I want to draft. I want to buy players with the what can go right mindset, as opposed to the I'm afraid of what and don't want to do it because it could go wrong. Something's going to go wrong, so I want to build in as what as much can go right as I can because I know something's going to go wrong. So why why be safe when some even when you're safe, something's going to go wrong. I'm going to be really safe this year, and I'm going to draft Madison Bumgarner. You know, if we had said that a year ago. You know, and who you know? So there's no safe. There is no safe. Freddie Freeman. There is no safe. So you know, I uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not taking 
you know, if we were to talk about how would I approach the first few rounds, it would be fairly safe. But I'm still drafting, and you know, I think D. Gordon's fairly safe. He's going to steal a bunch of bases. But, you know, the, so the approach being, you know, I think that I want in my head, I'm thinking what can go right as opposed to drafting for fear of what can go wrong. But any any player can get hurt, and and yeah. you know some some people drafted Mike Trout. He missed some games. You know, he was considered the safest thing on this side of uh, U.S. government bonds, you know. And all of a sudden, the guy who's safe isn't safe. And D. Gordon, in addition to stolen bases, we talk about him like he's Billy Hamilton, and in fact, he's at least he contributes in runs. He's going to yeah. contribute in batting average in a way that Billy Hamilton won't. Right. And Trey Turner's uh, similarly is going to be a, not just a stolen base guy, but right. also a contributor in these other areas. And I wonder, you know, can you make an argument just like people make for Jose Altuve is that the bags are part of a package. I like the package. I think I'm willing to go. I'm willing to put Trey Turner right back in the first round. Yeah. Well, we did a little quiz this morning that Ron put on and whatever it was like most stolen bases in the last three years. And Turner's played one and a half of those years and he came out with third in the list or something. Right. So yeah. And absolutely. And we, we compare Gordon. Gordon is a first, one or probably a second round player Hamilton is a six or seven so it's the difference in the other stats is baked in but Turner well people do forget or overlook or you know pretend it didn't happen he got hurt a lot in the minors so his health grade we get to slow the you know pump the brakes a bit I think I have him in the top not the top maybe top 10 tempering at bats which means if he doesn't get hurt he's could be the top player in the league but you have to account for it but yeah I mean you know strategically sure I'd much rather get the Turner and then then trying to wait or even see how much Billy Hamilton costs because you know if, if that's your plan is to get Billy Hamilton and you know nickel and dime steals and you think you get him fifth or sixth and seventh round just takes one other guy to have the same idea and then there's no more Billy Hamilton so now you're doing Denard Span, you know yeah or uh, Cameron Mabin or guys yeah, like exactly. that whose name came so. up earlier yeah that that's uh Certainly exactly true. And uh, the, other, the other aspect of this whole stolen base thing is that you can flip it on its side and say, I'm going to let somebody else have D. Gordon at that price, and I am going to go look for a bunch of guys, not even Paul Goldschmidt-type guys, but your 10 and 12 stolen base guys. Charlie Blackman jumps to mind, uh, even, and maybe some upside on 12 to 15 stolen bases. Well, he's, yeah, he's tough. He's a, he's a top five player, and he's running less. And is it opportunity? Is it age? Is it you know because he's hitting so many homers? He's an, you know, he's an interesting player. You know, I have him in the teens for steals. Your HQ projections will come out, and we're fairly similar. I imagine he'll be in the you know, mid to high teens, 40 a couple of years ago. And there's nothing that says he can't steal 25 and just go, go, go nuts. I mean, A.J. Pollock's another guy similar, you know, like that with that sort of an upside. But, yeah, I mean, you know, ideally in a magic, you know, not so much magic, but an ideal draft in my utopia would be to piece steals together. And maybe at the end, get that flyer on a Manny Margot or someone like that, that I want him on reserve, but if I need the steals and the, and the you know, category math says put him in, I put him in. You know, maybe in guys like that. Yeah. If, if you have your other categories you know, Jose covered. Jose Peraza, you know. Yeah, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let the math do, you know. I do, yeah, so I aim to finish in the middle of steals just because it doesn't take much. And I know NFBC where it's, it's sort of, I'm NFB-centric because that's all that's going on now. But, you know, you can't make trades. You know, most, most people can make a trade and can make a trade for one of these stolen base guys, and that's it's a piece of cake. If I don't, if I, especially in a keeper league where trades are a major portion of the uh, scenario because that's what you do in keeper leagues, you know, I, I know I can trade for steals. I've seen uh, you had a column out recently uh, at 
at your own site, Masters Ball, looking at some batter, early batter valuations, and you were commenting about some of what had gone on in there. Can you spill the beans on anybody that you were surprised? Does, the, does, does your own projection engine really ever surprise you when you look at it and go, holy cow? Um, yes. Yeah, well, well, I don't know about that, but... Well, I mean, I, I wasn't, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I, put, I, I put out the, the top tens. And you mentioned Mike Trout. And for the past, I had Jose Altuve as the number one player. And I got some questions on it. And I know it's contextual, whatever. If I had done that for four of the past five years, I would have been right. And the fifth year, they tied. Now, it depends, again, it depends on what system you use. But the point being, you cannot use the durability, reliability, trump guard of Trout over Altuve. He matches him year for year, game for game, season for season. Matter of fact, he's, it's, it's, it's better. So I got Altuve as my number one player. And uh, in a, you know, if I have an NFC draft and the number one pick, I'm drafting Jose Altuve and not blinking an eye. Uh, you guys talked about Judge before. Um, man, I mean, we, there was some industry mocks going on. Uh, a couple of HQ guys, you know, I think Brent was in one. And they, went, they started, in, I guess, mid-September, and Judge went 19th and 25th and – 23rd in that range. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I did a, an NFC league that drafted, literally started the last weekend of the season. Remember, this is when Judge was coming off of his, you know, I'm going to break McGuire's record. And on a hot streak, you think I went, you think you went fourth in that league. You know, recency bias, two weeks, it jumped up that many. My rankings, I don't know, 17th, 18th, 19th. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I'm going to take that, make that move, but. I think I have him for 42 homers. You know, curious to see what you got. I mean, he had, what, 55 this year? 50, I mean, 42 is 13 less, fewer. I mean, if a guy had 35 and I project him for 22, I know it's not the same percentage. That's a ton, you know? So we shall see. The other I got, I, I took heat because I have uh, Joey Votto ninth. Does that seem weird? He finished ninth this past year and he finished 11th the year before. Is it that much of a stretch that Joey Votto is a ninth? You know, I have ninth. I don't, I don't think so. He's not the sexiest player. I mean, he, I think the lineup will be a little bit better around him because, again, you got to keep on those runs and RBIs. So, um, you, know, I, you know, it's still early, too, because you, you guys know you, you change your playing time, but one guy up 5%, another guy down 5%, and they flip-flop 20 spots in the rankings. So when you you talk about Joey Votto, people are surprised that you have him as high as nine. Yeah, because he's he's not sexy. He, 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 you don't want to. You almost like you don't want to believe he's that good, just because you know you want you want to be the guy that says he doesn't. He, he keeps the bat. He walks too much. You know you want to be the, you know you want to take that route. But and a lot of it's batting average again, can, con, team context and roster construction. Um, I don't want to win batting average because that's the category that fluctuates the most. I want to. You know, I, I don't want to lose it. But I want to give myself, I want to give my team a chance to get lucky and take the middle of the pack and end up high. Of course, I could also get unlucky and finish low. But um, I, want, you know, I, want, I want the counting stats and let batting average take care of itself. You know, it doesn't mean don't draft Votto. What now means is you can now chip away at Joey Votto's buffer and get the lower batting average, higher counting stats guys. So I, this, I did this draft we were talking about. I started with Max Scherzer in 12th. And then Vado in the comeback, and then Daniel Murphy next. So we felt we had, I say we because I had a partner, Derek Van Riper was my partner in this league. We, you know, we didn't want to win batting average. We have a heck of a buffer. Ryan Dozier was the next one. There's your guy that's going to get, whatever, 30 homers, 20 steals, but hit only 250. 
We got Joey Votto and, well, an injured Daniel Murphy, unfortunately. He got hurt, or he was hurt before, but the announcement came out afterwards with the microfracture, but knock on wood. When you're drafting last week in September, I think we can find somebody to take his place in April. What do you make of Joey Votto's uh, big surge in home runs? Uh, do you just not believe it, or do you don't think it's going to be repeatable uh, I mean he seems to have deliberately tried or taken advantage of the juiced ball or whatever the case might be but you know all of a sudden the, the beef about him was he didn't hit enough home runs and he certainly hit enough home runs to make yeah yeah I, I, he came a little bit more aggressive and I don't know if that was by design or, or, or whatever yeah a little bit more aggressive but he's one of those they as I think you guys mentioned a little bit before the studies that Eno's done and stack uh, tracking track man and stack cast have done is the, you know, your exit velocity is harder to change than the launch angle. So whether he's a launch angle guy or he's in a, certainly in a park, I just, it was, you know, there's a certain level, you know, uh, of course I come up with a static, but, you know, judge 42. What that really means is what, 38 to 46 or whatever. So, you know, ju- one year Votto's in the fifth percentile of his expected production. Next year he's in the 95th percentile. What is he, a 30 home run guy, which means he can hit 25 to 35. And it was you, know, you were not wrong, whatever he did. So I I liked their lineup a little bit. I you know they were sneaky good against right-handed pitching the second half of the season. We'll see if they stay that way. I think the lineup should get better with a Jesse Winker maturing a little bit and Peraza getting a little bit better. So I, I team context I like. Votto's a guy where you, you kind of I'm a little worried if he's hitting second because the, the RBI opportunities are not there. But if they keep him third or something like that, you know I I don't have to take him ninth wherever 11th wherever I have him ranked I got him 12th and whatever it was 17th 18th whatever the comeback pick you know so I we feel we got two first round we got Scherzer and a hitter that we feel is a first round hitter a little earlier we were talking with uh, Jock and and Greg and Ray Murphy about this whole um, possible change or general shift in how major league teams manage their pitching going perhaps from uh, we want our starter to go seven model to now we want it, we'll want we be satisfied if he goes four and then we'll just start firing relievers at them one after the other or perhaps do that thing I mentioned where we'll run them through the batting order twice and then how when, and that'll be it. If that's five innings, fine. If it's three innings, fine. And we'll just go on like that, and which has real important ramifications for total inning count, wins count, and all that stuff we talked about. Do you see this happening? And in the meantime, how are you going to manage when you look at your building your pitching rosters in drafts and auctions, given the new realities of how pitching seems to be going in the major leagues? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to take this. Tampa's already come out and said, we're taking our guy, you know, because they know third time through, they look at the numbers, and all their guys are terrible third time through, so they're not going to, even Chris Archer, Alex Cobb, they're not going to let him get the third time through. Um, so one team has already come out and said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Now, it's tough. You mentioned Chris Davinsky before. You can't just say let's just pitch him, you know, three times a week for two innings. Those opportunities have to come up. I mean, you can't. Just, it's not like a stratomatic. You know, they have to exist. So that's part of it is they, they organically have to emerge for you to be able to do that sort of thing. But as far I, I, I you know, we, you know, a lot of leagues are changing to quality starts, as you guys alluded to. Not many quality starts because they're just not going. The average innings pitched was down. It's around five and two thirds. It was about five and a half. You know, I know that, you know, whatever. It's an average, right? So it's five and a third, five and two, you know, whatever. The average comes out to five and a half. So there you are, you are throwing fewer innings. But as we talked about with, like I said, there's a lot of ways to go here. As we talked about with the Hamilton and Gordon, 
this helps the Scherzers and the Sales more because they're they're not they're still going to throw 210, 220. So the the delta between them is, is because they're still throwing the innings is huge, and the one sort of change that I think could occur, and I I sense by the draft I just did a 15 team mix, and I think I'm not the only one. Obviously, the middle reliever will is back in vogue even in mixed leagues, just because would you rather, you know, you guys talked about the low strikeout guy. Would you rather use Chris Davinsky or Josh Tomlin? You know, Tomlin is the, the new Mark Burley, right? Not a bad pitcher at all, but he doesn't get the strikeouts. So are you going to use Tomlin or, Bur- or, 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 or Burley? I would, you know, I'm sorry, Tom, or, or, or uh, Nick Goody. Uh, you know, uh, was it Brent tweeted about Stedenhiker of Philadelphia? being a, a potential closing candidate or just a guy that can get 100 Ks, check out Nick Goody's numbers. He's a guy that you can get for, you know, I don't have to pay 10 bucks for Batances. I'll pay a buck for Nick Goody, and I'll get 90 strikeouts. So I think that in, in, in auctions and drafts and anything over 15-team mixed, the middle reliever is back in vogue. And as this, again, Rob's data showed that, you know, ERA's up, whips up, blah, 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 but Ks stayed the same. And it's because, as you guys suggested, the K-9s are up. And even though they're feeling fewer innings, the bulk Ks are up. So at first it was like, wow, that's not right. But then you think about it a little further. Oh, yeah, it does make sense just because there's just, you're getting more strikeouts. But I'm not, I'm not going to look streaming a two-star pitcher at this point. Uh, you know, just give me, the, give me the safer reliever. And if I have to chase wins at the end, okay, I'll chase. But I think the, you, know, you don't need to add holds to your league to make your middle relievers more useful. It's happening all by itself. Yeah, the Lima plan is making a comeback after all these years. Remember the debate here at the First Pitch Arizona and in other fora was what is the new strategy that uh, the, the Lima plan was a breakthrough idea, and we haven't had one since, really, and now it seems like, yeah, we have finally have one, and it's the Lima plan yet again. Yeah, and the other thing with pitching, you guys talked about the fact that there weren't as many good young pitchers it, it was almost impossible this year to fix a broken staff. There, there, just, there wasn't the inventory to, to make it happen. Not that it's ever easy, but there was never even the, the inventory was, you know, if you blew the pitching from the beginning, it was real tough to fix. And it's always hard, but it was, I mean, not just, you know, there was no, the inventory, people weren't, the assets weren't there to, to, to do it for you. So does that mean you, you draft the Scherzer or the Kluber, the sales, you know, earlier, you know, perhaps or pay more or whatever, you know, maybe it does. But, um, yeah, I just and, – and then you also have to consider with the relievers too. Uh, you really can't use Melanson as the example because you can just say not very good anymore. But the old Melanson, K-Rod – well, it wasn't even K-Rod. I mean, it was K-Rod. It wasn't, point being, he wasn't striking guys out. You don't want to fall, fall behind in strikeouts with your reliever now anymore either. Before I take the discount on Melanson because he didn't strike people out, I'm not willing to take that. I'm trying, is it, what, what closer would be the – Example now, they're all throwing, they're all in double digits, you know. But you know, the, I don't know that I want to go down that route anymore and uh, and uh, and take a risk. I want, I want Alex, call, I want Alex call me. I want guys are striking guys out too. Are there any other trends that we didn't talk about that you've looked at in your own uh, valuation uh, exercises? And when you look at at Major League Baseball with as, as how it applies to the game that we play, have you seen anything else besides the obvious trends of, of the counting stats to, that really has you thinking? Yeah, well, what ha- well, I'll tell you what has me think. First, I think, and I heard you guys talk a lot about it, I don't get as worried about how you're going to combat more homers. I'm not, I'm not going to sweat it. 
because it's happening to everybody. Everybody's hitting more homers, and I don't draft towards targets anyway, so I don't care. So, I mean, it just, you know, everybody's hitting more homers, so you're going to draft more homers. Everybody's running, you know, stealing fewer bases, so you're going to draft fewer steals. I think you have to think about D. Gordon and Billy Hamilton a little bit more because their impact is that much more. But I don't, I'm not going to go overboard. And I, I, don't have, you know, I don't think there's an, a, a perfect way to, to combat more homers. I think it just, I used the word a couple times already, organically takes care of itself. But I think, we, I think we have talked about this. The thing I've, you know, projections I've done so far, the guys I'm having the most difficulty with are the pitchers that suddenly have given up more homers than before. Because I'm somewhat convinced and had some people kind of corroborate this talking to it to us in the past day and a half that the pitchers are throwing the same pitches they've always thrown, but hitters' approach is now different. And they're a pitch low in the zone, which is a great pitch before, batters are uppercutting it and it's putting it out, you know. So, and the other thing is, it's no shame in striking. I, I, I don't want to pretend I was a great little league player, but if I struck out when I was, you know, little league 12, 13, 14 years old, I wanted to walk back to the other dugout or other bench. You, you left your buddy, you know, your, your, your buddy was giving you a ride home that night and you left him stranded on second and you struck out looking or, or whatever. You, you're embarrassed. There's no shame in striking out anymore. So why did Kershaw give up so many homers? I think people, if I'm going to strike, he's going to strike me out anyway. I'm just going to swing from my heels, close my eyes and hope I hit the ball. You know, I don't think there's anything different. If Kershaw's better, you know, why not just swing from the, swing from the heels? So I don't know if that'll ever change. And actually, I would say what you're talking about with valuation, you know, you can't filter 70% contact rate and just categorically dismiss them anymore. You know, I think so you have to sort of change your internal filter. Not only you're changing your, your filters for pitchers, he has to throw eight per nine or whatever. I think you have to, you know, consider hitters that are striking out just because they're going to get the playing time. So it is kind of weird. But uh, – it's going to be interesting because the other, just the general thing about it is, all right, we talked Trout and Altuve. You know, you can, the, the first round, or you want to use dollar values, okay, they're going to go for 50 or 45. The next eight or 10 or 10 players, are, are just throw them in a hat and pick a name out, and you can make an argument for any of them. And I think that's a blast. Yeah, it is. It makes yeah. it interesting. It yeah. also has ramifications for roster yeah. management and yeah, roster construction. Yeah. You know, last year, um, the NFC did their study, and a lot of teams won from the 7, 8, 9, 10 spot. Those are the teams that had to settle for Paul Goldschmidt because he fell. They had a, this time last year, he had to settle for Jose Altuve uh, at, the, at the 9 hole. So, you know, so we always talk, you know, where do you want to draft? I like to draft on the, on the, on the wheel. If I don't get Trevor Altuve, I want to draft on the, on the other wheel. But I'm going to lose him the opportunity because by the time you get to 15, you know, Goldschmidt's already gone. You know, you're drafting, quote, at value. So there's something to be said for drafting 10th and getting Correa there or, or, or something like that. But um, that is just, you know, Carlos Correa can go fourth or he can go 14th. Trey Turner, any of these guys, it's, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. Uh, um, Blackman, I mean, I have him as a top five, but, you know, he probably can go 12th in some leagues. So I think that makes it, you know, then the whole, is this the year that people are going to draft pitching and they're going to, you know, where are they going to put the pitching? Are they going to? put Kluber in the first round you know what I find interesting too is when we talk about valuations and looking ahead and ADPs and all that kind of stuff we always end up talking about which guys are going to go one through 15 and haven't we figured out by now that usually you're going to win your league somewhere else besides your first your first round pick like you said they're all pretty good you know you don't get okay Trout or Altuve's are cases 
kind of by themselves. But after that, if you build any kind of roster, you're all going to be on a pretty even ground. And it's going to be the guy who aces the 17th round and the 22nd round that's going to win your league because that's where the difference makers are. And we never talk about them. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you know, you know, no one, you know, no one cares about your team but you, right? Um, I mentioned this draft that I've already done when Derek and I did it the year before. When we were we were we were talking about it, we took a look at our our like twelfth through twentieth round. I mean, we didn't draft one guy from twelve to twenty that was like did anything, and we just we just had the worst back end. We, we were, it was so bad that we were laughing about it, and we were embarrassed. But we were laughing about it. It's like so. You, yes, you were right. But on the other hand, I mean, what else? It's what is it? Early November. That's what else are you going to talk about? I mean, you know, you, you don't even know who the seventh round is yet. So I mean, it's just sort of that's what you talk about. But yeah, and we already know there's a 35% hit rate on the. I don't mean hit rate. I mean getting the player in for for first round numbers as opposed, you know, whatever contact rate. So yeah, but you know, again, who else are you going to? I mean, football does the same thing. You know, um, you know this. You know, you know, pardon you know, Ezekiel is playing, where are you going to rank him? Well, where the heck are you thinking I'm going to rank him? <laughs> you know, it's like I do two-start pitching, and uh, Corey Kluber doesn't get his second start. Where is he going to fall in the rankings? Well, not far enough for you not to start him, you know, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, that, people love rankings. I love numbers. That's what they want to, sometimes it's just because they want to justify how they feel about a player, but that's fine. Before I drop this uh, subject that I've been worrying <laughs> to death, I'm wondering about the – we've, we've been talking about these trends and how they affect things only as far as full season leagues are concerned. And I'm wondering, you're also a big daily guy, a very successful daily player. And is there something we need to start thinking about as far as these trends in usage especially that is going to affect daily player valuations? Well, what, what in, uh, what's going to affect the daily valuations, and Eno touched on it, Eno Saris, uh, Derek Carty does this sort of thing. We are getting more reliable, small sample data. And it's not, the error bar is still pretty big, but I like you know, the Lloyd Christmas thing. So, you, so you're telling me I have a chance? So, I mean, I don't want to rain on their parade. This is, you know, this is not my numbers. This is not my work. I overhear conversations um, or I ask questions. But a, you know, intuitively, a guy making great contact or hard contact but not getting results is a guy to look, you know, you'd think he'd be, be like good for, look, guy to look for. That's now being borne out even, you know, but the other guy gets a small sample size. Well, what they're showing is if a guy is not getting results for a couple of days in the ball hard, that is something that's actionable. So in DFS, if his price has dropped or people are afraid of him because he's 0 for 8, if he's been hitting the ball hard, that's actionable. Uh, a pitcher with a spin rate that has dropped, or if, if his spin, if a pitcher's spin rate has dropped. His results might be the same, but they, you can literally get data spin rate from uh, start to start to start. You know, if you notice a pitcher's spin rate is, is on the decline, uh, correction, you know, regression will rear its ugly head, so to speak. So that's where the advances are in the daily is we're getting, you have to make the error bars a little bigger, but if you're playing a, D, I don't want to get too involved with the DFS, but if you're trying to win a lot of money, that's, that's the chances you have to take. If you still want to play it safe, it's still a different area. But um, that's, to me, where the advancements are coming, is more reliable or more trustworthy small sample data. And that's StatCast, and that's uh, you know the track man and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is going to be interesting, and it's going to be a lot of fun to use. Uh, I don't 
analyze as, as aggressively or as competently as you do, but I like looking at it, and, and uh, certainly uh, the challenge for us as analysts is to understand what these data are, what they mean, and, uh, and how soon they stabilize is a really important question in all of that. Yeah, I mean, people, it's hard to convince this crowd that I'm not that good at DFS, because um, I, I, we have a thing called Tout Daily, and I, for the two straight years, have gotten the most points cumulative over the course of the season. So it's tough to talk, talk to Ray and Brent and you know, not, you know, don't get me off the D. I'm not, I'm not as good as these guys when I keep doing that. But I kind of like to say that being the best tout player at DFS is like being the best looking tout. The competition, <laughs> it's just the competition isn't that great. But I, I mean, but when I say, when I mean that, there are some excellent tout boards, uh, Vlad Sedler, Derek, um, but they just, you know, it, it's a fun, it's more for fun for us. We do it once a week on a Friday, you know, so I know it sounds like I'm insulting my fellow tout warriors. Um, I kind of am, I guess, but, but it's, 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 it's yes, playful. We're, we're ugly losers, yeah, it's but playful. nothing other than it's that. It's playful. I mean, if these, any of these guys wanted to apply themselves, you know, they could do well in the, in the, in the tout daily, but I'm, I'm a big proponent of the league format of DFS. I, I think it's a blast, and we've talked about it. And, we'll, and one of your ideas, I believe you know at this point, of how we're going to change the, the finals was, was sort of your, your, uh, your, brain, your brainchild as far as. Oh, so yeah, we'll, 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 the, from what I understand, um, and since I kind of run it, I guess I understand it, um, we probably will go to that. Tell them what it is. Yeah, what we do is we have a, um, you know, I, I guess because I, I am such a proponent of the league format, well, it's not, why not? Um, what we, we, we do in Tau Daily is we have five five periods of four weeks each and the the highest total points over the four week period uh get into a finals and then the finals is like a winner take well so much winner take all but it's still a one day thing so why why on, a, on the league aspect of it why have four days of four days worth of numbers to show your how good you are over an extended period of time and then crown a champion in one day it just didn't make sense there, the old Survivor format, a couple of the sites are now ex- extinct. That's not really many that are gone. Um, Survivor, you know, so anybody who's in the finals plays the first day. The top half scores, whatever it is, whatever you want to use, plays the second day. And the top half of that plays for the finals. So you still have to, you know, when you, to get from the, th- the you know, the thirds of the second day, maybe you want to play it safe because all you need to do is finish with their 30 people. 15th becomes like a 50-50 game right right, yeah so you can incorporate all your different styles so uh there's a good chance that that we uh we incorporate that i'm kind of glad we didn't do it this year because i swept the top three money spots but uh we had derek derek cardi won it but he wasn't we had a a side pull he he was uh uh you know derek is just so busy he literally forgot to pay and uh you know so um he ended up. He's going to have the money. He, when you did a couple of years ago, at, at, at Foley's, he's going to he's going to name the meal because he won Tau Daily, but I won the money. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the, the meal tastes better, but the money comes in handier, <laughs> I bet. And uh, and just so we just so we know for the people that might not be uh, familiar, you were the most successful player two years ago as well. With the total, if you aggregate all the points, right, that were, right, right. And who, that, who won that year? Was that the year you won? It was. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> I just yeah. had to bring it up because uh, yeah. I've always been of the opinion that there's a huge amount of luck involved in, uh, in, in the whole thing. And as people get better at it, I think the luck is draining away from it. Well, that's my – and I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for the league aspect. I don't think any of the sites – I'm not, you know, 
everybody who's like, I'm not going to name their name because they're not, they're not advertising with us or whatever. Everybody knows who they are. I don't think they're going to have a commissioner service and charge money. It may take, it may take our friends at on Roto. There, I will mention them. Uh, maybe they, you know, have a certain you know, part. They offer a service or fan tracks, one of those guys where, you know, you, you play the DFS game and they, and they score it for you like they score your home league. They score DFS league. Maybe that's what it's going to take because I don't think the DFS sites are going to do it. But I just, I mean, for that reason, I think there is skill luck. We don't have to go down that road. But I think, I think the better players, if you accumulate points over the course of a season, the cream will rise. Yeah. You know, is, you know I don't want to say anybody can win a tournament because not anybody can. But I think, you know, that's maybe it's just more my style. But um, I, I you know, and I have a blast with the Tau Daily, and we do a couple other places I work for. We do something similar, so I you know, I think I think it's it's pretty fun. From your point of view in the industry, when you look at this, uh, I, I've talked to Gene McCaffrey, our mutual friend, about this, and he's always saying, "Why don't we have like one week leagues made up of seven individual daily contests, but aggregated?" Because it gets to your point, it's it's it has the fun of daily, it has the roster construction right. aspects of daily, but it's not just a one shot thing. And why not two weeks? Why not? Why can't you sign up for a month of daily contests and all these kind of permutations? Right. And it seems like it's a market marketing opportunity that nobody's really taking advantage of yeah well again i mean the the sites make their money because they have such a large tournament and they have to and they get the rake how much money they're going to make if they if you whatever how much it costs for service now 150 dollars whatever 70 dollars some of these services are you can get them free on espn and yahoo so uh, how much money they're going to make commission you know running this sort of thing so you know you have to pay some guy to make the values. You have to get the real time stats. There's a lot to it. So it's just a lot easier just to do the tournaments, try to get the guy to win hundred thousand dollars. But um, you know, the fun when we did Tau Daily, I happen to live in a state where I could do this. Not everybody can. You know, I take my lineup and put it into a in quotes real contest too. So you know, but um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's what's it going to take? And I think there is something to that. You know, I'm not saying every home league that's four by five by five mixed Brodo right now, whatever, is going to convert. But, man, that would, you know, I'd like to see it happen. We'll see. we got a few minutes left. I'm completely out of uh, energy and questions. So has anybody got a question they'd like to ask Todd Zola? It's a rare opportunity to talk to one of the smartest guys in this business. Who's got a question for Todd Zola? Come on up and grab a hold of this microphone. And, uh, and if it's about Jared Eikhoff, I, <laughs> I have no comment. In terms of your valuations for your projections for 2018, uh, all this that we've been talking about, pitchers pitching less, uh, different uh, types of pitchers, did that change the overall movement of pitchers in your overall valuation compared to hitters? Well, everything, everything's relative. So the, every, the big group that's moving together don't change much, but the delta at the top of the Scherzers and the Sales and the Klubers, they're, you know, yeah, they're, it's worth that extra dollar at this point so i we are noticing something like that but you know as far as homers and you know everybody's hitting more homers so relatively speaking they're not moving moving that much it's the the movement is in the, in the stolen base and again no matter what the question is about values and rankings it's contextual and it's all about you know i, I joke about ron about this and i think we've talked about it too the more in depth i, I learn about projection analysis the more in depth i learn about valuation theory the more i realize they're not as important as some other things so it's what other thing uh draft strategy knowing the player pool knowing your opponents trends thinking things through uh what are the repercussions of this move um how you know that sort of thing um so you know you know just you know used to think that if my 
sheet with the numbers on it are the, are the most accurate, I'm going to win. Once I started playing the NFBC and I didn't win, I realized that wasn't the case. <laughs> and that question came from Tom. He's from Salem, Oregon, and I know that because I spent a really fun afternoon with Tom and a couple of other people out at the ballpark. I've family in Portland. I uh, haven't been for a few years, but it's a beautiful part of the... Uh, Beautiful part of the world. It sure is. Uh, a country, world. Maybe tell us your name and where you're from before you say your Sure. Question. Mike Bell from uh, Boston. And Todd, is, uh, as always, really appreciate uh, the, uh, the the fantastic uh, insights. Um, maybe just switching off of uh, the NFBC uh, format for a second back no. to... <laughs> for just one minute Next back question. to uh well even back I'm to the just, uh the, the, the auction that you uh that you just participated in that i saw uh, at xfl of. the the um my, my my question is really related to the the last question i was asked do you still believe in something like a 70 30 split between batting and pitching even with the different playing time din- dynamics uh that are now coming about because of the 10-day dl uh, because of the more uh, pitchers is something like 70 30 still make sense do you think that's what we're going to see when we see the expert league um, auctions in the uh, spring, something like 70-30? Or do you see that uh, shifting because of that dynamic? Uh, I think I, I, I do the numbers in that range because that's what ends up happening. I don't go into it and budget that, or I don't adhere to it. I may initial budget, but I'll shift money around. And in a draft, when I take my auction values and convert it to a draft list, I have found empirically that 72-28 matches closer than if I just, you know, bring the names down. But um, I am, I am curious, I don't know. I mean, I know, I, I'm curious about that because a lot of the time what ends up happening is just, sure, certain pitchers, you don't pay as much for starters, but, you know, I have this much money more for lay for a closer now, or I have this much money more to pay for Scherzer and Kluber. So... The percentage stays the same, but where it goes shifts. But I don't, I don't get hung up on you know leaving with a certain. I think I, I do. You know, we'll talk about it when we get closer to draft time. I have, I do have a budget coming in, and it's usually one ninety seventy, you know, somewhere in that range. But I'll move on and off of it. But as far as one of the biggest mistakes people make, and we haven't talked about this for years, but it's one of the back in the early valuation days. You know, if you want to go 80-20 or 85-15, that you run the numbers that way, don't. That's not what you want to do. You want to run them at 70-30 and buy 85% of it. You know, it's one of those big mistakes. Otherwise, you're paying you know, 55 for trout because your sheet says it, but that's not what you're Or depending on how you've got it set up, your sheet yeah. might say 75 yeah. for trout, and it's yeah. just it's all out of all proportion with what the actual value because – uh, there's a difference, and I think sometimes people lose sight of this. There's a difference between value and price. Right. Value is what the guy's worth, and price is what somebody's willing to pay for him because he yep. either just disagrees with your projection or he just likes the guy. There's you know rational and irrational reasons that prices go, and the shape of the auction can change things. I once spent $48 to get Paul Sorrento in an auction because it was a keeper league. He was the last first baseman that was available. So what the hell? I had $48. I wasn't going to take $48 out to the, you know, steakhouse and get myself a steak and some third rate first baseman. Paul Sorrento it was because that was all there was. So there are those valuation questions. I have another question though. Something you said in response to that question from Mike and, and that is the assumption we make about the hitter pitcher split don't you have to build that in when you make a valuation because you need to know how much the budgets are for each side of the equation yeah, well, to do pvm yeah well i look at his you know I'll, every year i relook at it and it's just it's amazing 
that it just comes out to be 69.31. It's almost scary. And maybe one year it's 68.32 and the next year it's 70.30. But I just, I just leave it 69.31. Well, 4 by 4 is 67.33. Um, I don't have much data on that because there aren't as many leagues. But, yeah, that's my current. And now some may do 70.30. And the end of the day, you're only, it's only a buck or two difference. Um, so I don't get hung up on it. But, um, you know, I believe, I believe the HQ tools and Rotolab let you switch, let you do what you want. If you're in a league that, that your league historically pays 70%, that's what you want to do. Is there a, a leverage arbitrage opportunity here that if you decide that, you're gonna, that your league will probably be in that 69-70 range and you've just decided that you're going to spend way more, so like you said, you run the values based on what you expect the league to do, rerun them ex- based on what you want to do, and then see where the bargains fall as you go through the the differences well, uh, fall. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't running it at the higher amount is misleading because that's not you know that's uh, just it, again you have to you're paying you're you're buying eighty five or using eighty five percent of your budget to buy hitting. You're not you're not revaluing at eighty five percent. So I think there's a there's a difference there. And to be quite honest, we've talked about this too. The actual amount they're actually worth is fifty fifty. Because the categories are the same, so you know, so these are all more more of um, uh, empirical numbers than they are, you know, e equals mc squared sort of, you know, provable formula sort of things. You know, it's one of it's one of those arguments for Kershaw's. If you put fifty percent of the budget for hitting and p- pitching to make the same, Kershaw's like a seventy-five dollar player. Mike Trout's like a thirty-eight dollar player. Or Jose Altuve. I had to change this argument now. It's now it's now Jose Altuve, right? So it's now Jose Altuve is like you know a thirty-five to thirty-eight dollar player when you when you when you flip it around like that. But no one no one drafts like I, to give credit. Peter Peter Kreutz was the first person that, that I know that actually hammered on that. And in my early years, like that just doesn't make sense. Now it makes now I say it. You know, I understand it makes perfect sense. And you know we got our standing room crowd going. That doesn't make any sense, but it it, it does. So. It really does, and they're all interesting questions, and they're fun to think about. Uh, part of the reason we play the game is to think about stuff like this, as well as the competition. I think, Todd, it, it's always fun to talk to you uh, with microphones in front of our faces, or or with beer glasses in well, front of our faces. Fortunately, it's on a TV camera. But you mentioned, you know, que- I mean, we do we, we do them frequently enough that if people want to post a question in the HQ forum, we often talk. We often, when we talk about what we're going to talk about, pull questions off the forum. Yeah. So if you guys, seriously, if you guys, if there's ever you something you want Patrick to ask me, so to speak, post it on the forum. We'll talk yeah, about if, it. If you have a yeah, baseballhq.com has a forums. I think it's the strongest thing about the site. Frankly, you can tweet at it. we both have Twitter accounts. You both can, have you know, Twitter we, accounts. We, you know, yeah. Not that we couldn't figure out something on our own, but you know. What, yeah. No, you know, I, I like talk, I like questions from I want people. To talk about what you guys want to hear about? You know. Yeah. Uh, just be warned, if you sign up for my Twitter account, you're going to get a fair amount of political co- commentary as well uh, up until the time that Baseball HQ forces me to get a separate Twitter handle for my uh, anti, anti-politics uh, rants versus my baseball rants. Uh, again, Todd, thanks a million for helping us out. It's been, it's been great. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, November the 3rd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 41 of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests for this Friday special edition of the show live from First Pitch, Arizona in Phoenix. From BaseballHQ.com, Jock Thompson, Ray Murphy, Chris Blessing, Alex Becky, and Greg Fishwick. And from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, Todd Zola. I am Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. Sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. 
Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and a Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. I have a Twitter feed as well. I'm almost at 1,000 followers. It's at Patrick Davitt. Please send us a message on our email address, which is bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com. And you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second, go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Comment us up. Tell people how good it is. It really does help us keep the podcast going when the bean counters start looking. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on another Friday, maybe after the winter meetings, but for sure once we approach spring training with more editions of the podcast that have fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and so on. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.